0: Astonishing Legends would like to thank The Great Courses Plus and our contributors at Patreon.com for making tonight's show possible.
1: Einstein's general theory of relativity postulates that gravity can bend both space and time. Stephen Hawking's lecture, The Beginning of Time, mentions something known as imaginary time, which he calls a genuine scientific concept. In trying to explain what it is, he describes ordinary time in the way we all think of it, a horizontal line, with the past on the left and the future on the right. But imaginary time is different. It extends in a vertical direction relative to this horizontal line of ordinary time. Hawking says, and I quote, this is called imaginary time because it is not the kind of time we normally experience, but in a sense, it is just as real Now, to be fair, we are taking that statement out of context, and as always, you'll find a link to Hawking's lecture in our show notes. There is much more to the concept of time itself and how we perceive it than most of us understand, at least for now. Which brings us to the kind of story we haven't covered on Astonishing Legends in a while, a personal experience. It turns out, I have some friends from college who had a missing time story. Friends who had several hours of a day simply vanish, and even now, years later, they cannot come up with any kind of conceivable explanation for what happened to them. And that's the other thing. This story is about two people. They both experienced it, and as we've often said on the show, a personal experience takes on an entirely new level of veracity when more than one person was subjected to it. So tonight... We'll hear this story and then we'll follow that up with a discussion about this tale with writer, podcaster, researcher, and adventurer Micah Hanks, who has frequently written about missing time himself. So sit back, put your headphones on, and settle in for a new episode of Astonishing Legends.
2: Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. People like us,
1: who believe in physics, know that the distinction between past, present, and future
2: is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Albert Einstein. Join us tonight for a lively discussion on a missing time incident that has perplexed the folks that experienced it for years. And we're back. Whoa, it's like Albert Einstein is right here in yeah. the studio. No
1: one does him. Very few people do him. <laughs> Wait, yeah. do it again. I like it. And we back. That's awesome. He's a little high-pitched, but uh, yeah, but you're looking at old film or radio clips. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, we are back. We got a strange story for you tonight, so thanks for coming back to us. There are a few more dark weeks in the summer due to travel and family obligations, uh, so we appreciate your uh, sticking around. Well, it's so hot.
1: Everyone is sticking to everything. Skidoom. Yeah, nice. (laughs) Well, folks, tonight we're having some old friends of mine on the show, one of whom you've met before, the illustrious Rich Haddam. Uh,
2: Yes, but tonight Rich comes bearing gifts, his lovely and talented wife, playwright Susan and Lambert joins us, along with their mutual friend, the co-creator of Disney's animated series, Phineas and Ferb, Dan Povenmire. I bet you didn't think these would be the people with the Missing Time story. <laughs> well, strange things can happen to any one of us, any person,
1: anywhere in life. That's one of the things we keep emphasizing. It's not just rural farmers. And we also have tonight writer and researcher Micah Hanks coming on to talk about
2: Dan and Susan's story and Missing Time in general all right before we get started we just want to remind everyone to check out our new favorite podcast player himalaya it's a free download for your smartphone and it works pretty great yeah so download that if you haven't already and once it's installed Follow
1: Astonishing Legends, and you'll quickly find out that nearly as soon as we post a new show, it
2: pops up with a
1: notification for you.
2: Yeah, Himalaya is a great app, and it also has multi-speed playback, which is essential for our long-winded <laughs> multi-parters. It's <laughs>
1: still not going to help that probably no. a lot, but it helps a little, yeah, if you're into that kind of thing. Well, we're dark next week, folks, but after
2: that, we're back with our usual three in a row, and there's some fun ones, so keep an eye on our feed. All right, I think it's time to roll this conversation on The Missing Time Experience with Rich Adam. His better half, Susan Lambert, and their friend, Dan Pavenmeyer. Okay, so uh, this is a very special episode of Astonishing Legends. We are welcoming uh, the most people we've ever had in Blanket Fortiana at once.
1: We didn't know if it was technically possible, but we were going to try it anyway. So we're also lucky to have our good friend and recurring guest host, Rich Haddam, with us who is married to Susan, but has a very interesting origin story about how we all kind of got to know each other, which we've explained before when he when he arrived, but it's a really convoluted thing.
3: Well, the story you're about to hear is the reason that you and Scott and I met. I mean, this is how we got together. And it was, a, a, I don't know, two years ago, but I remember the way it happened was this. This is just before I came on your show for the first time. The way I found out about your show was, one day I got a, a a Twitter message from a listener who was asking about the Mothman prophecies, about something that had been talked about on one of the episodes of the four-part Mothman thing you guys did, right? And she was asking me questions, and she's like, hey, can I ask you some questions? And so we were DMing each other. And at a certain point, I'm like, well, I don't understand. Like, where do all these questions come from? And she said, I was listening to this podcast talking about the Mothman prophecies, and they talked about your movie. And I said, what was the name of the podcast? And they said, Astonishing Legends. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll check it out. And I looked it up and I found the episodes and I started listening. And it's that weird thing where I started listening and they told me that you had said good things. So I wasn't super worried. But as you guys were doing your show, I'm listening in. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're broadcasting from. I know nothing about the show. So I'm just listening. and, And then at a certain point, Scott will say, you know, and the thing about it was, you know, you know the the book itself. There's a lot more going on in the book and the movie. There's actually a lot less, and usually it's the other way around. Things get embellished, and and it's that weird feeling where people are sort of talking about you, and I'm listening in, and 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 so of course it kept me interested because I'm fascinated because you're talking about me.
4: There's really <laughs> no more fascinating
3: topic in the world to me than me. So somewhere in that episode that I'm listening to, and I'm waiting for more talk about the movie about me, you, Forrest tell a story about this story that you've heard about these people driving to San Diego and you start telling details about the story you're about to hear and I'm like, wait a second, he's talking about my wife. What is going on? How is that possible? Because this is not a story. I mean, you know, I, I know Dan, I know Susan, but this is not a story. I'm telling the, you know, we're, we're talking to friends. So I freak out. I immediately pull over and look up, I think it was your Twitter account. And I immediately get in touch with you. And I'm like, okay, you don't know who I am, but I'm listening. My name is Richard Hadaman, on and on and on. And... We make the connection because of this story.
2: Well, uh, shall we introduce everyone here? Yeah, let's do sure. that. So our next guest is Susan Lambert, who...
5: Hi, Yes, welcome. say hello. Hi. Hello, Thank hello.
2: Uh, why don't yeah. you tell us a little bit about yourself, Susan?
5: I'm a uh, writer and producer of theater and film and uh, digital content.
1: 134 West is your company?
5: 134 West is my company, yeah. yes. Yeah,
1: uh, produces great plays and theater and also... Tie the Pie Guy. Tie
5: the Pie Guy, a digital comedy show for kids and families. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah.
1: Dan here, yes. uh, is here uh, is a, a long-time... We all know each other from USC. That's how that yes. started. Except did. I didn't. <clears throat> but Scott's, not yeah, together. Scott's not part of our. The group. Odd yeah, man yeah. Man yeah. Out. yeah. The
3: fifth, fifth wheel. Game. He's
1: the odd yeah. man out. But we all didn't really know each other that well. I think at school. First,
3: yeah. really well, I, think, at school. First yeah. I don't remember you. At I all. mean, I don't remember
5: I don't to be Super
1: honest. Yeah. Yeah. I know these guys. Yeah, we
5: were. Yeah, we, we were. Yeah. yeah. Dan, I have seen gang.
1: occasionally here, but it was mostly connected through the Daily Trojan newspaper, the school yes. newspaper.
0: Yeah, exactly. And yeah. at the yeah. time,
1: I think Dan was writing one-panel cartoons or drawing one-panel no, cartoons. Panel. Four panels. Four
0: panels. Oh, four. Excuse it was, it was me. A, yeah, life is a fish. Yeah. It was originally called Second Glance, oh, right. and then there was a character named Herman the Fish that started popping up, and people started re- referring it to the, the breakout character. Fish. Yeah, exactly.
3: And then right. I we change the names and that actually figures in this story that we're about to tell how? Weren't you delivering these books? That was the no, San Diego trip. Oh, that was the San Diego trip. trip. The San
5: Diego trip.
6: Uh, oh, oh that's John, a no, different San Diego trip. That's a different no, trip. No, it's a different trip oh, It's been
3: lovely. You guys have fun. I'm out. <laughs>
6: okay, you're <laughs> done. I but came yes, here for so the does, San Diego trip, I, I and didn't, that's it it does it, does,
5: it, it. it does, it It
1: figures in.
0: I wrote it down a, so.
5: here, San Diego yes, trip, because it to, does, it's a tangent. That's a tangent.
1: It's a tangential trip. Since those USC days, what have you been up to?
0: I'm a cartoonist. I draw... Yeah, I, have you gotten any
1: shows on the air? <laughs> I created a show called Phineas and Ferb, and oh. and, a,
0: and a show called uh, Milo Murphy's Law with my buddy Swampy. That was two oh, yeah. little tiny shows. Yes.
5: Where and, where could uh, they possibly be seen?
0: Uh, right now, well, soon you'll be able to see them all on Disney Plus, like all the episodes of everything <laughs> on Disney <laughs> Plus. But they're Disney Channel shows, and for. Seven years or something, Phineas and Ferb was like the number one animated kids show. In the world. In the world. I'm a big yeah. fan. I'm I'm yeah.
2: absolutely giddy. I cannot believe fan. that I am sitting with the creator of Phineas and Ferb as well as the screenwriter of the Mothman prophecies at the same time. I can go ahead and just jump off a cliff at this
6: point. It's, <laughs> it's, a, strange, it's a weird convergence. It's a, weird a, convergence. Not, don't. It's I mean, a
0: it's a weird convergence. You wouldn't think that those two
3: things <laughs> no, would actually think they would take together. place in
0: the same universe.
3: Uh, and uh, Forrest, I know you were there, so I'll just sort of, you know, group you in, but the fact that we've known each other since 1984. Four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 1984 like, I mean and we knew each other like we were or, uh, actually
0: no I think I was we 1985. 1985 I think it was January yeah. 2nd 1985 so.
3: yeah but we were all hanging out at the uh, Daily Trojan at USC we didn't know what the hell we were doing we did no, not know we anything. just we just had a, a, little a little dream babies. and a nickel in our pocket and uh yeah and, and Dan
5: uh, Povmeyer had a car you were the one with the car? That right. a, yeah. That's why you guys hung out with me
0: because you guys, I could actually drive you places. Well, Rich
5: had a car, but he didn't share.
1: Oh, is that what it is?
5: No, I was going to let okay.
6: anyone in my
3: car. Yes. Come
5: on. Well, Dan, so, just,
1: to, just to prove yourself, could you yes. do a voice from
5: maybe the one that's been
1: asked of you the most to do? Uh, well, I do Dr. Doofenshmirtz.
0: <laughs> so when he says, curse you, Perry the Blathabus, it's actually my silly voice that comes out of his face. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yes.
5: it's so fun to uh, watch him do that. Yeah, it's fantastic. weird. You know We're what's right weird
0: him. is that, like, I know it breaks kids' brains when <laughs> they when, when they see it. Yeah. And for me, I only ever hear it coming out of his. You, you know right. what I mean? Like, I, I say it into a
1: microphone. Next time I see it, you know, like I don't see me say it. Yeah. I think the reason I thought that this would be a good subject to cover because it's really nothing that we had talked about or covered before. But it's one of the first stories I think I had not really so much a personal connection to, but a firsthand hearing of this tale one day at school. And it didn't wreck me, but it was like, what is that? What is going on? Because I, I certainly believe Dan. I didn't know Dan very well, but I remember one day... It was at the Daily Trojan at the offices there. And, and it was kind of a clubhouse feeling, but very serious. People took their work very seriously there in uh, journalism. I certainly didn't because I was in entertainment, but but I, you know, it was a lot of fun. We we all tried very hard. And there's people, though, that that showed up every day that were covering a regular news beat. And people would hang out between classes and, and just kind of talk and hang out and work on their stories. And I remember one day Dan came in. He just said, I have the craziest story for you. Like, it, it, so like four or five, six people kind of gathered around and... He just told this story that didn't make a whole lot of sense that I think happened maybe the day before. I don't know which group you were in. Cause I told that story several times. I, I
0: think it was on the <laughs> first uh, like Yeah. 10
5: years. You're dying to
0: have a lot of I've, I've told it many times, times in between, although, uh, although it sort of goes out of my brain for a while and then people <laughs> r- bring it back up. Do you want the story? I, Let's I, do the story. I, I yeah. can tell you what happened. Susan was, was interviewing, For the paper, she was interviewing the director of First Blood, whose name I forget. I I I don't even remember. And she got an interview at his house. And she asked if I would drive her because I had the car. He had
6: the car. I didn't uh, know.
0: And I said, sure. The interview was supposed to be at 2 o'clock at his house. She was getting out of a class at like 10 till 1. We were going to meet at the DT, go down and buy a Thomas Guide because I didn't have a Thomas Guide yet downstairs at the, at the bookstore I, i'm just Gee, gonna quick a thomas
2: yeah guide? i'm gonna translate real quick for the youngsters first of all dt daily trojan thomas guide is an actual book of maps yes
0: but it, it was the it greatest was, thing <laughs> it <laughs> was it was map quest but on paper right that's what, was, basically yeah, what it was it
5: was the way was, you got around los angeles yes exactly and you could not get around los angeles without one yeah. there is one still in my car uh, yes. Yes. Oh, Yeah. great uh, yeah. right yeah. for emergencies And, and just i'm going to translate daily trojan USC's school newspaper. Yes. yes, because I didn't know what it was when I. Should yes, have
0: exactly. <laughs> so she meets me after her class. We check the time on, you know, like one o'clock. We leave the DT. We go downstairs. Neither of us have a watch at the time, but we're very cognizant of the time because we want to get there on time. We figure, like, with no traffic, it would be thirty minutes, uh, forty-five minutes with traffic. We'll get there early. We'll be good. Okay. It's gonna take us a little bit of time in the in the bookstore, but we went, got the thing, got in line, got out of there, went to my car, got in the car, drove across the ten, up the four o five, got off on Mulholland, and drove about ten minutes off the freeway. We get to the guy's house. So we, so we've left there around one fifteen, one twenty. If you if you count all the uh, you know the the getting of the Thomas guide, getting to the car, and everything like that. We get to the house at what should be right around ten till two, somewhere around like you know, like like. And going up the four hundred five, I remember thinking, oh, thank goodness there's not traffic, because even at in the middle of the day, sometimes there can be really bad traffic on the four hundred five. We're traveling eighty miles an hour, and I made note of, oh, we're going eighty on this. This is amazing. We're going to be there in plenty of time. Get off the freeway, take ten minutes on Mulholland. We get there, and the guy's assistant is there. And he says, Well, he's not here anymore. He waited for you. And I said, Are we late? I didn't think we were we were gonna be late. And he said, Well yeah, it's four thirty. And Susan, I looked at it like it is not four thirty. That is not the time it is. And he said, No, look, the news is on. And then 430 news was was starting and, and and I and I was like that is not, it's like, well, he we waited for you for a long time. And he left, you know, he had other stuff to do. And, and we just like walked out. And, and, and as we're getting into our car, another car pulls in behind us. It's the, um, the pool guy. And he starts taking his pool stuff out. And we say, excuse me, sir, could you tell me uh, the time? Do you have the time? And he's like, yeah, it's 435 or whatever, you know, whatever he said. It was like. And Susan and I just looked at each other. We even joked at the time. It was like, did we just get picked up by aliens? What could possibly... Like, that doesn't make sense at all. We got in the car. We drove 10 minutes back to the 405. And it was the middle of freaking rush hour. And everything was just stopped. And it still only took us 45 minutes to get back. To get back. To get To, get back. to, to USC. Because it sort of cleared up on the 10 a little bit. And we were able to... You know, like, we, we got back. And we go up to the newspaper and they were like, how, would, how was the interview? And we, and we told them what happened because there were people there who remembered when we left. And we were like, did you change these clocks since then? Because the clocks are now, whatever, 5 o'clock, 5.15, 5 you know, whatever. And people were just like, you know, the editor was there. And he's like, that doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm that that doesn't make any sense. And I told that story for several days. So it must have been, you must have been one of the people that, that we told that story yeah, to. Yeah, I think it was the next day maybe. And then I completely sort of forgot about it. It was too weird of a story. I couldn't. Make heads or tails of it; it didn't make sense to me at all, and I just sort of put it in the back of my mind. And probably a year later, maybe mm-hmm. I, I'm. Uh,
5: what, what, what part I, of that? I was reading communion. Oh, yes, it was a couple years later. Maybe it was a couple, a couple years, years
0: later. later. Yeah, you, I'm, re- okay. I'm, I'm reading communion. The book communion comes out, and I'm fascinated by a story that this guy tells on uh, the Tonight Show of alien visitation and being abducted and and stuff. And I start the story in the beginning. It says do not be too skeptical when you read this this book because somewhere in your past, there may be a missing hour or a strange recollection that means that you too have had this experience. And I literally went, yeah, okay, whatever. And I started reading it and I'd completely forgotten about it. I'd put it so far down into my mind, I I wasn't thinking of it at all until I read a passage in the book where he's trying to figure out what happened to him. And he's saying, a lot of these people that I've met that have had this experience they were in moving cars in the middle of the day that doesn't even make any logical sense what happens to the other cars on the road how is that even possible almost like disproving it himself it was like this doesn't make any sense and as soon as he said that that all flooded back to me and i was like the reason that we didn't even take anything seriously about what could possibly have happened to us was because we could remember that entire trip perfectly if I had thought at any point that I had blacked out or or just dozed off or something like that, I might have thought. Or if I'd seen anything that was that was really strange, I might have thought, okay, that's uh, maybe we got picked up by aliens. You know, it's, it's <laughs> like I'd heard about that. Yeah, you know, yeah. we were joking about, it, but I didn't think it was at all a serious proposition because we were moving the entire time. We stopped at like one stoplight, and so I'm freaking out about it a little bit. I I'm reading the book, and in the book. The people who have had this visitation or the being been abducted, they have screen memories, is what Whitley Stryber calls them is memories of something that is are so weird or so unique that you think about that memory. And his theory is that if they're editing your your memory, they're putting something else in there so you don't notice that things don't match up. But you might
5: see the cut. You might (laughs) see the cut, (laughs)
0: exactly. And we'll get to that later. Yeah, right. (laughs) But I was thinking, what else happened on that? What do I remember? And I was going over that whole thing in my brain, and I just remember us stopping by a wall or driving by a wall and seeing a guy in blue overalls wrestling with a shopping cart that had something unusual in it that we both looked at each other and said, okay, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. That would only happen in L.A. I cannot remember what the thing in the shopping cart is. I have a vague remembrance of the guy's sort of, you know, face in the in the blue overalls yeah, yeah. and the shopping cart. And I remember the wall. The, the, that's the only thing that I remember from that trip other than just driving there. I
1: remember, you know, every
0: the It was bit the, of the only trip.
1: strange thing that you recall seeing. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. And I said, well, I should ask Susan about that at some point. For... Like um, better part of a month, it feels like it was probably a week. I started obsessing on trying to prove that this thing hadn't happened, trying to prove some sort of logical re- re- thing right, because because right. I had always thought of myself as somebody who it would be really cool if something unexplainable happened to me. That would be so cool. I, <laughs> well, find I made that say, that mistake say they yeah. saw ghosts <laughs> and stuff like that. And, but as soon as something it's I couldn't explain it, that stopped being a fun idea, and yeah. I and and so I started like writing everything down that had happened and trying to see where the logic was and what had gone wrong the thing that kept striking me is that okay let's just say for the sake of argument like all the things that would have had to have happened for us to have been that late
6: yeah
0: her class would have had to have been at least an hour late getting out which doesn't happen in a university setting but it is physically possible for that to have happened right all of the t- clocks at the dt would have had to been set an hour or s- or more off the clocks in the bookstore would have been had to be set an hour or so off so that we would be traveling at 4.15 on the 405 right. instead of like 1.30 or something, which is when we thought we were traveling on the 405. The thing that I think is impossible about that is that would mean that we were traveling for like, let's say all that stuff happened. That would mean we were traveling north on the 405 freeway. On a weekday at 4.15 in the afternoon doing 80 miles
1: an hour with no traffic. Yeah, which for those of you who don't live in L.A., it's
0: unheard That's of. That's the most impossible thing out of yeah. the out of the whole thing. Because th- if we got there, you know, 10 minutes off the freeway at 4.30, that means we were on the freeway at 4.15 t- with no traffic. Yeah. And when we drove 10 minutes back, it was the middle of rush hour. And that was the thing that made me like, holy crap. All it made me think is like okay, two and a half hours went by that I didn't experience. Right. Right. And I started, you know, like sort of obsessing on it. And then I started thinking about other things that you and I had done together because in the book, it says that people who this phenomena has happened to, it's happened to them several times during their life. His theory, I think, is that they're tagging us like whales and-, and Keeping tabs you on us. keeping yeah, yeah. tabs on us. Whitley Strieber's book is about- alien abduction and erasing memories and all this sort of stuff hello this is dr heinz doofenshmirtz i'm not planning on taking over the tri-state area today because i'm too busy listening to the astonishing legends podcast with scott Philbrook and forrest burgess forrest and i went to evil science school together
1: uh, well, let me ask you this. Was okay. there a clock in the car? At there was least? not. Okay. There so, was not. There so was... nothing, there was no time keeping peace around you that was no. also altered or stopped or anything? No, Okay. no, no.
0: But I started thinking, okay, if people that this happens to, it's happened several times. What other weird things have, have happened to me? There was a time when Susan and I, and I think Beth McKendry, we're up in the Golden State Freeway, the, uh, not the Golden State Freeway, the-, the um, Angel's Crest. Angel's Crest Highway. There's a place that we would go up and just lo- you know, look at the city above it like that. And we were up there and we saw a light moving that didn't move like any ship that, it, it, you know, like my dad's a pilot. It was like, yeah. oh, that's moving much too fast and then stopping too quickly. And we watched it sort of zigzag around a while together. And Susan was there for that. And then
5: um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are the magnet. It, of that. I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember seeing that?
5: We would go up there a lot and yeah. I sort of have a vague memory of that, yeah. but that's not a, that, yeah. that's never been tied to that. And it me. didn't
0: feel, it didn't yeah. feel like we lost time no. or anything, but that, 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 that was like, a, oh, a weird, weird thing, thing that we saw that I couldn't explain. I've seen, through, I've seen that through yeah. aeronautics, you know, I've seen and, the same thing. Yeah. And then the other one was, we went to San Diego together. I did this comic strip for the daily paper, daily paper at USC I sold books of it at the crafts fair every year. And and there was a, a crafts fair and I'd sold out of the books. I'd, they, they sold much faster than I thought they were going to. And I had to get more copies of them. They were down in my uh, granddad's house in San Diego. And so I enlist Susan to drive down with me at, you know, after the crafts fair.
5: Cause it's college and yes, I'm always up like, for an adventure. And, and, and she was always like
0: road trip. Okay, let's let's, 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 we'll, we'll do it. And, and we're driving down, um, and several strange things happen from my point of view at that, that time.
5: I feel like it was on the drive back.
0: Okay, but this is the thing okay. that happened on the, okay. on the drive down. Okay. I know what you're thinking of. Yes. Okay. The thing I'm thinking of. Uh, on uh, the drive down. Uh, there, were, there were three strange things. The strangest thing, which I think you remember, is we're driving and there's thick, thick fog. And we're driving and I'm trying to make good time because it's late. I need to get back. I need to go to sleep. I got the the, the art fair in the in, in the morning. So I'm trying to drive as fast as I can safely and really pay attention to the, yeah. the lights of the car in front of me. Make sure I can see the road and everything like that because the fog is really freaking thick. And I'm doing that and suddenly, phoom, all the fog is gone. It's like we drove out of a solid straight vertical wall of fog and we're suddenly in the clear. I remember it as like an audible whoosh, like phoom, I don't think it made a noise, but that's how it, it right. is in, in, in yeah. my brain. And and I turned around and looked behind us. We both turned around was like, whoa. And we turned around, looked behind us, and we couldn't see any fog behind us. Oh, that's awesome. Uh... And when I told a friend of mine about this who's a filmmaker, he said, oh, it's like your memory was edited and it was a jump cut because there wasn't fog when they put you back in the car. <laughs> and I was like, right, yeah. well... <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what it was like. And 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 how dare you bring that up? Yeah. yeah, And I was like, well, thank you so much for putting that into my brain. But but, but it's like, (laughs) so there was that. And then the other thing that I remember on the way down is army trucks following us on the side. Not army trucks, tanks. Actual army tanks going over these sloping hills on the side of the freeway. The sloping hills of which I don't, I can't even recognize where that would be on the five. Well, it is south. an,
5: on, um, there is a military. Yes. Installation. Yeah. Which is Base. what I thought at the time,
0: but when I remember it, it was much further North than that. It was like Orange County that we were driving yeah. through and these, these yeah. things were going past us. I could remember that in the wrong place, but they were keeping up with us and we yeah. were, we were doing a pretty good, a good clip. And I've never seen tanks down there at all. So that's yeah. what I remember. Right. If there's a screen memory for for that, I feel like that's my screen memory because she doesn't remember that. And I, did, uh, I didn't I find this out until I finally, like, when I gathered all this information. And I remember when we got back from that trip thinking, wow, we must have talked to my granddad for a long time. We must have spent like an hour down there because it took us so long to get down and back. Hmm. Um, I don't remember what that actual number was or anything like that. But I remember having that thought. Before going to sleep is like wow that took so much longer than I thought it was going to yeah. take. I thought it was like that, but I remember the entire conversation with my granddad. It was like fifteen minutes. He came out and he was much more charming than I've ever been, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and and you know he's like oh there's a young woman here. I'm going to I'm going to <laughs> he's you very know. Char- yeah. He yeah. Very yeah it was very charming. He's <laughs> like the middle of the night for him and he comes out in a you know in Smoking a robe jacket. and a, yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it was uh, it was it was really cute. The polymers yeah. carry a lot of charm, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we just. We just got the books and, you know, had a little quick look on and left. So all this time I'm like writing down all the stuff that's happened and stuff like that. And I finally get together with her and I ask her what she remembers from that. She doesn't remember the trucks. You remember the fog, right? I remember
5: the fog. She Mm.
0: remembers the fog. What do you remember on that trip?
5: I remember something on fire.
0: Do you remember what it was?
5: Uh, Because I wrote it down at the time. A VW bus?
0: A VW bus. Upside
5: down on fire.
0: Upside down on fire. I used to drive a VW bus. You can't flip one onto its roof. Right. It's rounded on the top. It's just thin metal up there. It would flip back. Oh, it, and it, you a very know,
2: low center of gravity. Very low center of gravity. There, there's
0: the no, there's no, spot no spot way to get that, it yeah. onto its roof unless, like, I suppose you could flip one, and if it hit against another car, then you moved that car, it could right. be like that. And I said, on its roof? And she said, yeah, on its roof. I said... With the wheels pointing in the air? And she said, yeah, the wheels were pointing straight up, and it was on fire. It was on fire. <laughs> and, and I feel like, you know, if I had seen a VW van on its roof on fire, I feel like it would have stuck in my memory. This <laughs> yeah. is only a couple years ago. Right. You know, th- right. th- This is th- th- that, that's really weird.
5: But we talked about it. That yes. was the thing we were because so many weird things. It had been such a weird trip down yeah. and a yeah. weird trip back. Yeah. The, it was on the trip back that I remember I rem- the, the VW bus on upside down I on fire.
0: Vague, I have a vague recollection of slowing down for some accident. Yeah, but I really don't think it was a VW bus on fire on its roof. That just seems so improbable to me that mm-hmm. that I would I would have forgotten that. But Susan, is so, that
3: what you think you saw? Yes,
0: yes that's what she thinks. That's she saw. what I think mm-hmm. I saw. Yeah. And so she or didn't that's see what the tanks. I saw. Mm-hmm. Now,
5: yes, w- whether it was real or not real, that's what maybe you remember that seeing. That is what I remember seeing. Right. Okay. Again, it was a long night.
0: It was a long night. It was a long night. We okay. drove
5: down to San Diego. We picked up boxes from so, Dan's grandfather, yeah. and then we drove back to L.A.
1: Yeah, it's, it's about a two to two and a half hour drive, depending on how fast you drive down from yeah. L.A. to San Diego. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. And it was, I don't remember how long it took, but it was much longer than it's, we felt like it. it and too, and I took that trip all the time. Yeah. My grandma and my grandpa were, both lived down there. All my cousins lived yeah. down there. I was familiar with that trip. And it was just weirdly, weirdly long. So back to the present back then when yes. I was trying to figure out what had happened to me and just sort of obsessing on it, like the thing that Adam said about uh, like being my memory was, was spliced together, and you remember that.
5: Adam saying that. To no, you, you remember or, the,
0: the, the the fog disappeared. Oh
5: yeah, the fog yeah. that was is weird as hell. Something, yeah.
0: yeah. The, the jump, jump cut. Yeah, that that was well, you know like and the being whole a...
5: experience of the fog yeah. was weird. Like uh, yeah. I remember it being something like that so... I had not experienced before and have not experienced since. Even though yeah. it's always a bit of a weird stretch because mm-hmm. you're going by the nuclear yeah. plant and yeah. you're going by <laughs> right. like yeah. it always feels a little bit weird. But that. That really was, wh- was one of the most weird yeah. road I mean, the, trips the, I've ever taken.
0: Yeah. The image that I had in my mind at the time before Adam put this other image in my brain right. was that, did you ever re- read the, the mist, the Stephen King book yes. where it's like a solid wall of mist coming yeah. in. It's like, it's like we drove out of that like, yeah. because it was, it, it, it was like, it was all this thick fog and then no fog at all. Yeah. Just, it didn't dissipate right. in any way. It was yeah. just gone. And, I think I thought that when I talked to Susan, she would not remember us turning behind, you know, like, obviously, if I turned behind me, I would see this big, thick wall of fog. And she said, oh, no, we looked behind us and and there was was no fog behind us either. So, you know, and now we didn't have our headlights going back there. But we did have other headlights behind us, right? You, you see know other I mean? cars behind you. Yeah. There's there's lights yeah. from, the, from the highway. It, it, you know that that was strange. So yeah. I'm obsessing on this, and I'm trying to figure out what happened, and I'm really sort of freaked out by the, by it. And I'm driving up to see my girlfriend up in the valley. She lives uh, she lives off Moore Park at the time, and I'm driving up the four hundred five. And just without me even like really making a conscious decision, I get off at Mulholland, and I say, "I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna drive that road. I'm just gonna like, like see. I want to, I want to see, I want to see that wall that the guy was pull, pulling his uh, right. his shopping cart next You're to the now guy in the. Going to retrace
1: the I'm route. Just, yeah, of Yeah, but the original. it's
0: nighttime. It's a bad idea. I'm freaked out anyway. You know, and I'm just like, okay, this is stupid. This is stupid. I'm making all these turns on Mulholland. Everything like. That. This is dumb. I don't know why I'm doing this. This is like this. And then I come around the corner and I see the wall. And I have the weirdest fear reaction to that that wall that I've ever, it like freaks me the hell out. I get goosebumps and everything like that. And I just like, oh crap. And i just continue to drive. And I'm saying, this is stupid. This is stupid. Why am I doing it? like, and I finally stop. And I drive back past the wall again. Yeah. Because there's something about the wall that makes it impossible. It's not the wall that I remember, although it's exactly the wall I remember. The wall I remember, though, is six feet tall. The wall is about three feet tall. It's just a little retaining wall. And I couldn't figure out why that bothered me so much until I sort of put two and two together. And I thought, okay, in Whitley Stryber's book, he describes several, or at least two different shapes of alien. There's the tall, skinny ones and there's these little short 3 foot tall oops excuse me <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's these little short guys yeah. uh, that are 3 feet tall and they wear blue overalls right.
1: by the way that's what he calls them Christopher Walken calls them in the movie yes, yes exactly anyway, i so understand uh, yes.
0: but there you know there's these these giant ones right. and then there's these little 3 foot tall guys right right and they wear blue overalls yeah and it occurred to me that i saw a guy who is 6 foot tall wearing Blue overalls in front of that wall, but that wall's only three feet tall. So it occurred, so I was like that would be why I would think he was six feet tall, and he had the shopping cart right, and he had the with shopping cart with that you something can't in recall. it that I cannot recall at all. Where is yeah. this wall still there? It's still, I think it's still there. I don't drive that stretch very often. <laughs> yeah, you enough, don't like to go back. I don't like to go back there. But it's no. on Mulholland. It's on not Mulholland. Far from here, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, it's on Mulholland East
1: this way, this direction okay. of the four hundred and five. Okay. So and, so to recap, yes. yeah, just so people understand here what you're saying, when you first drove by. And you notice this kind of a strange right. man wearing these... Uh, who, I always think of this as a minion kind of like coveralls. Yes. But he seems to be a... a, human, a, being a human being. human being of average height. Right, yes. Five to six feet Standing tall. Standing in front of a six-foot wall. And it's a retaining wall that usually goes before somebody's lawn or, or, or it's an abutment to a lawn something. Something like that. Yeah. The other weird
0: thing about that spot is that is the, one of the few spots on Mulholland at just that moment where and I noticed this on the way back that nobody can see you from any direction. Mm, If you're not on that piece of road, the cover with all the leaves and stuff like that, there's no houses that can look into that area. There's, you you know, it's suddenly very secluded for just this one little corner. Right. And I got back to my car and I called my girlfriend to tell her that, you know, I was coming and I, and, and I sounded sort of shaking. She's like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm. Uh, I got off on and She's like, "Are you an idiot? Why you should have? I would have gone. I would have gone with you. Don't do yeah. that by yourself. You're gonna freak yourself out." I was like, "I'm a little freaked out. It's yeah. okay." And I had like a weird fear reaction, getting back into my car and just looking up because I suddenly realized, like, okay, if what I'm reading about is true, right. then it explains everything that happened to us, right. I'm not ready to accept that that's true. Yeah and there's no other explanation you know i really wanted some other explanation for it and i still haven't found any other explanation for it but i haven't really accepted that as 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 being a true thing either right. you know like so after that i just stopped thinking about it and now i only tell this story and i get a little freaked out when i when i do when people ask me about it, because they've heard, you know, yeah. or when somebody is telling stories about weird things that happen to them, it comes up in my brain. I'm like, oh, let me tell you this story. Right. But uh, but it's a freaky weird thing that. Yeah. This is the theory that makes me feel better. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is it like only happened theory. when Susan is in the car? Yeah. So my theory is they're taking Susan and doing experiments on her. <laughs> wow.
5: And You're leaving me in the car. You're the chauffeur. And, the, and,
0: and I'm just sort of in a fugue state in the car. Yeah. And so that that's my theory.
5: Wow, you just threw me to the aliens. I threw you to
0: the aliens just to make myself feel better. Well, what's worse
2: about that, Susan, is that you are always like, I
5: want to go for a ride. You (laughs) know, the the first one is my fault because I was needed a ride. I'm the one that started the ride ride because I had to get to my interview. Like, I'm the crazy person that spent two years in LA without a car trying to go on interviews, yeah. <laughs> trying to do interviews By with people, and then having to convince people to, hey, don't you want to drive me to my interview? <laughs>
1: right. So, <laughs> then I have to be there at a very specific time. Because before
5: Lyft and Uber.
1: Uh, yeah, in those days, right. That, that wasn't an option. But back to the description, because I remember when you told the story, that was one thing that, not bumping on, was like, I just want to know more about... This humanoid person, well, a human being essentially. I remember his face. I think he was a human. Yeah. In my mind, I remember
0: like he had like scruffy, but he wasn't like old homeless guy. He he looked like just a guy. Yeah. He may have even had a baseball cap on. Right. In in my memory. But he had blue overalls. But they weren't the coveralls that Whitley Stryver describes. Right. It was that like overalls right. with straps. That's yeah. what I remember. In right, In
5: my memory, and again, my memory is not as good as Dan's yeah. around this part. Yes. And I'll explain that in a minute. But in my memory,
6: I, want to hear it, this I
5: sort of basically, I think in retrospect, I've decided it was a homeless man because of the shopping cart because right. of the piled high shopping cart. Yeah. Because I remember sort of less about the man and more about the shopping cart. Man with the shopping cart. What and was the in, the, in the shopping cart? I don't cars. know, but I don't know. I don't know what was in the shopping cart, but I know- I feel I like there that...
0: was one big thing in the shopping oh, cart. But
5: I... I remember, again, it was sort of like the memory I have of the car on fire and that moment on the freeway of us commenting on, holy crap, this drive is like some crazy-
2: I just want to point something out real quick for people that aren't familiar with Los Angeles. It would be extraordinarily difficult to get a shopping cart full of junk to Mulholland Drive.
6: Yeah,
0: yeah, well, it's I mean, way up and so you know, out. It would be a lot of work. Well, it not, would be, how would you
5: even do it? The road the, is barely being two lanes being wide. Closer to the freeway. This like
6: is if, the, the kind the of actually. shape okay, okay. of the thing
0: that I that I remember. No. It was like sticking. It was like like some some structure pointing up and out of it. That looks a lot like a middle finger, but right. So it was it was like sticking way out of it. Yeah,
1: is all I remember. And and this seems to me like it was metal of some sort. And this is the strange thing is that in your mind, like this is a a person of average height, five to six feet tall. But what was strange is that you get back to that actual spot and the wall that he must have been as high as was only three feet tall. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he did not appear to be a little person or any, no. he was not a, hum- like my a homunculus. My memory of him is not that at all. Right. But my
0: memory of that wall is not that. It, right. My memory of that wall is that exact wall in that exact shape and that exact bend yeah. of the, of the. there's like a little corner in, in Mulholland and it it's sort of in the inside corner of that. But I remember it as being this six foot tall wall. And I remember it very clearly and then I see it, and it's much, much shorter, and that really freaked me out. And then later I put the two two and two together and, right. th- and said,
1: oh, maybe it's because that, maybe the guy was the, the height of the wall. I don't right, know. but I don't proportionally, know. then that man must have been three feet tall, but the shopping cart then was also in proportion? Like, the, it wasn't a three-foot tall guy sho- pushing a regular... T- uh, no, uh, no, no, no. It cart. was proportional. It, it was
0: proportional to him.
1: Now, what's happening, the reality is he must have been pushing a miniature Shopping cart with a well, with a thing sticking out. If
0: what we're remembering there is, is is a real thing. Yeah, then yes. You know, it's like who knows whether our memory is good of that. It or It was a long
5: time ago. It was a long yeah.
0: time ago. But at the and, time this happened, it was only like a couple of years earlier. Right. At the at the, at the but, time that we started, I wrote it all down. Uh, it was,
5: you were very freaked out. I and was you very were very freaked out. freaked out for a while. I, I think was, it was longer than.
0: I don't know. Uh, I just it, remember it, it was the only time in my life I thought I was losing my mind.
5: And it was a time in my life where I was like, "Dan is losing his mind."
0: Yes, <laughs> I'm totally fine. I was. It's Dan, Dan because is I was really obsessing. Yeah. And he was right. like, "You, you the...
5: have to read Communion." And I was like, "I, I am want... not reading." <laughs>
6: communion.
0: Yes, I don't there want to go crazy
5: no like way you. I'm reading Communion because it's not working out for you. Yeah.
1: Well, Dan, I have, a, I have yes. a question about that, because I remember, uh, I heard this story again. This must have been maybe four years now. I think we had started the podcast already, and we were there for one of Susan's, uh, I believe it was Shakespeare for her Kids performances, yeah. yes. right, Yes, and a mutual friend of ours had invited us out, Rob and uh, yeah, Rob Can and I had not seen Dan in, she's 20, 30 years. Oh, this was in Pasadena, Pasadena, yeah. right, yes, I so I get out there, and I remember one, I, I just remember you telling me about something that I don't remember you saying at the original uh, telling of the story was that you being attracted to this book communion that I think you were saying that you did not know where to how to file this all these years you you thought about it quite a bit since then because I was like you remember that story you told and it's like do you yeah. remember that it's like yeah, I think about it quite a bit like almost yes. every day uh, since then and you I think what you told me and you correct me if I'm wrong that you were walking by a bookstore maybe in Pasadena and the image that iconic image of the first edition of the book where it's that great classic gray alien face kind of grabbed your attention and you were like compelled to go in and check out the book but you yeah. weren't really aware of it I think that I had seen
0: uh, Whitley Strieber interviewed mm-hmm. but I had not seen that that image right I knew that there was a book coming out and that, and that you know that's a very striking image Even you know, like, like, no no matter how you slice it, you know, it's supposedly, you know, according to him, painted from his memory of the tall, thin creatures, right? You know, like that's, uh, but yeah, it it jumped out at me, but but I don't know that it jumped out at me more than it jumped out at anybody else who, you know, that book sold millions of copies. Sure, but you, uh, uh, when
1: did you get the idea though that you just wanted to read it that maybe it? I saw it and I was like, oh. This sounds interesting. And then I picked it up and was like, oh, it's that guy
0: I saw I interviewed. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll read this. And then so, at what
1: point in the book, though, that something struck you,
0: uh, maybe you'd it mentioned it. It was literally it. that line where yeah. the, where they said, because I remember thinking, there's no way we could really be missing time because I remembered that drive. There sure. Was, it, it, you know, it's like there's I remember no it seat. so clearly start to finish Right. when we were done with it, that it didn't feel like there could be anything missing from that. Yeah. And because we were in the middle of day, we weren't on some backwoods thing in Indiana somewhere where nobody could see us and an alien could come down and pick us up. We were in on on Mulholland <laughs> yeah. Drive yeah. in the middle of the day. Right. That doesn't compute at all. That doesn't make any sense.
3: But, but here's what I think is really weird. Yeah. I haven't talked for like half an hour. <laughs> that <laughs> that is, is very strange. That is odd. <laughs> How is that even more possible?
1: apropos time for you yes. to jump in because... Yes. I think what we're what we're looking at now is how do these experiences fit into that model?
3: Susan and I have been married for fourteen years now, and we we got but, married at ten, right, but <laughs> right. we all met in the you're eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, so, no twenty four. But this is not something you ever now. talk about. You have no. You're not reading all the UFO books that I'm reading. You have no real interest in that in that whole subject matter, and. You know, Dan says as he's telling the story that, you know, it had a real emotional effect on him and and he was really trying to figure this out. But what was your feeling about being in those events?
5: Well, and and so I remember the drive less clearly than Dan does. I couldn't have told you. See, they're picking her up. No, but, but, I, but I remember, right, my wife I feel like up. The, the trip to San Diego, I remember most clearly, so they must have been picking Dan up. Um, <laughs> okay, good. But um, um, that drive to San Diego, I think about, A, every time I drive to San Diego, every time I'm driving really? somewhere and it gets weird, like there's just like special weather or something, which again happens a lot. And then I remember the trip, but my memory of doing that is colored by the fact that I was 18 going to do an interview with a big time director. Oh, right. right. And uh, uh, I uh, was of afraid, the Mulholland trip. Uh, the, the Mulholland yeah. trip. Is, was about getting there and I was afraid we were going to be 10 minutes late and that was going to be horrifying to me. Yeah. And we <laughs> got there. Yeah, we were. And we, were, we I had blown it. I yeah. that, like, so yeah. the memory of that whole trip is me Messing everything up and ruining my life, right? right. So that, sure, that, sure. Like, and that right. was
3: like, He'll never work I, in so this town again. Yes. That. Oh, <laughs>
0: yes, you know.
5: So it was the I've totally screwed this up, and they'll never give me another interview, and I'll never work again for the data direction. yeah, <laughs> More anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and, and,
1: until <laughs> then, I mean, they need a next story. It's, it's going yes. on your permanent yeah. record. It was.
5: But and I mean, it, did it
3: nag at you that there was this missing time?
5: It totally did, and so I also want to caveat that even though we were. In college, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, there were no other.
0: I didn't drink. You didn't that drink. That is true. I didn't. Uh, I didn't smoke cigarettes. I don't know if I was smoking anything else. But not at that, that time. day. I was not. Not, not that, that day. day. I don't know about. And I Dan. never did it a lot. But I did, I did not. It like every other weekend for a while, and felt like that was too much, so I quit because I'm such a weirdo. Um,
6: yeah.
5: So I was like Tina Fey, you know, like nerd ball. Like, yeah. I yeah. was a straight shooter, and there was something so horrifying about having like so over the top blown it that a director had left. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, yeah. It, I, so there's a, a kind of horrible, like embarrassment. It that never goes occurred with to that. me
0: that that would be your takeaway from that. And so, but, but that makes sense.
5: And, and yeah. so in many ways, uh, I, didn't I was I just wasn't like, supposed to record. right. It. He didn't blow it. To... Like it did seem impossible and it hmm. did bug me, but I couldn't explain it. And it felt like my fault. So I yeah. was just like, yeah. that was sort of, in some ways, it's tied to sort of this, you know, the shame of blowing something. Sure. And particularly being kind of that young. I remember the trip being arresting in terms of like, just again, that that sort of feeling of like, this doesn't add up. But again, you're, then you sort of just go, okay, well, I can't explain it. So I'm
0: not going to spend more time on it. Yeah. No, you know. but
5: uh, But when... Dan went down the communion road you he was very insistent that I read communion and I was was, very very insistent (laughs) that I was not going to read communion and you did Did you ever and I didn't I never have and I you know you've still not read it no no no
3: you know who read it Matt Reeves and I read it at the same time and would call each other every 15 minutes going Oh my God. Oh my God. Where are you right now? What's happening right now? Because we were terrified. Yeah.
0: Isn't, isn't Matt directing a new Star Wars or something? What is he doing? What, uh, He's doing a Batman.
5: Anyway, so that's in many ways, I feel like I kind of like, was like, oh no, that's a, that's a bad memory. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pretend it never happened yes. and, um, and then go on. But, yeah. uh, but, it, but it, it has stuck with me. I do remember the guy less clearly. I remember sort of all the incidents less clearly, but I do, I think, have a picture. Because I brought my camera, because I, I also took pictures for the Daily Trojan. And so I was like, oh, I'll get picture some pictures. I have a picture of what? I have a picture of, I think it's from that time. I have a picture of my feet in Dan's car.
6: <laughs> and you think it's from that? It is. Correct. You
5: think it's from that trip? It Can is, we
0: find out the date from that picture? No. Why would you take a-, a
2: picture of your feet?
5: Well, okay. There was a lot of oh, there was a lot of go. newspapers in the bottom of Dan's car, and my yeah. I was wearing like these red Chuck Taylors, and it was just a cool looking <laughs> shot. Okay, okay. Right. So
2: I'm just trying to figure out if it was done in a struggle as you were being yeah. extricated from the car. But,
6: it, but again, <laughs> by aliens, it,
5: it is a picture that I then put in a scrapbook. And again, at the time, I wouldn't have said I put it in the scrapbook because of that. It just felt like, oh, that's riding in Dan's car. But I'm. Ninety percent sure it's from that trip.
0: Well, you would have had the camera with you yeah. because we, because we were meeting we were that gone. guy.
5: Yeah, and, and that uh, would
0: be—I can't remember you ever having a camera other than that.
5: Yeah, I didn't have a camera on in, the San Diego trip. Yeah.
0: yeah.
3: How but, long apart were these two events? I don't know. I, don't I have know no
2: either. idea. We can frame it by total time at the DT, right? Like, how long were um, you guys in
5: less than f-
6: three four, years? Three four, years, four max. Years. Yeah, it was
0: within three or four years of each other. Yeah. I didn't realize how badly I had freaked you out until this moment. Well, because, because I was so freaked
5: he out. He was so freaked out. It was like one of the, again, it's one of those things I where was, you were like, I was yeah. afraid for you. And yeah. I certainly. Well, like, because, like, because, because
3: of Susan, because. she was the one being abducted. Yeah. and She's worried about Dan. Yes. yes. Yeah. I it's At, at some point
0: during that, because I spent so much energy, like calling people right and seeing at, what they had remembered yes. about that day and stuff like that hoping that somebody would say, oh no, you guys, you just, you guys screwed you around for a and while. And you and watched movie, right? Yeah. You know? yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I kept hoping for somebody to give me any kind of thing that would, that would add to the time of, uh, right. of us leaving that would make it make some sort of sense. Which is two to and, two and a half hours. Yeah. Yes, right? exactly. When I got off the phone with my girlfriend up at the, there's a, there's a rideshare parking lot right there at mm-hmm. Mount Holland in Holland on the freeway. And I stopped there and I found a, a payphone and I called her and I got out of the and I got in my car. And I had this like weird, almost psychotic break of crying and screaming in my car for, 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 for a little bit just because and it was like at that point where I, I didn't know if I made a conscious decision, but I was like, I got to stop thinking about this. Yeah. I got to You know, like, I, I've just got to let this go because I had sort of come to the, the conclusion that the only thing I can believe about that day is that two and a half hours went by that Susan and I do not remember. Yeah or did not experience. One of those two things happened. Because any other belief that I have is not based on the evidence before me, it is based on human arrogance that we know what is possible and what is not possible, and fear that, that it's something impossible. So, so I had to believe that something weird happened there because right. I couldn't find any evidence to say that it had not, and I found lots of evidence to say that something weird had happened. But I did not want to deal with it anymore, which is why I've never been hypnotized. Mm. I said at one point I would probably never get hypnotized anyway unless she was doing it too, because then we could compare notes and, if, and there would be some corroboration because otherwise I've already read Communion. I know what that whole stuff is saying. My brain could make up all sorts of crap you know, that would fit into this narrative of this alien abduction, and I wouldn't trust anything I remembered under hypnosis anyway, But if she ever wanted to do it, maybe
3: I would. I think at
0: this point I wouldn't anyway,
6: Yeah,
3: because I don't wanna know. It does make me think, is it not all about your abduction, separate from your abduction, is it the two of you? I don't know that like we're the, being
0: abducted.
3: And,
5: and, and, I was, uh, all
3: I
0: know is that yeah. two and a half hours mis- yeah. disappeared from my memory. That's all I know. All That's right. the only I, thing I can say. And, and, you know, uh, you know
3: I, I certainly don't know either, yes, but, but but that is interesting. You yes. know, I will say this just re- really quickly. There's a couple of things that if I heard these stories from other people, things that I would comment on. And one is the fog. Because that plays a part. Once it got brought up a few years ago in in I think it was one of the episodes you guys did about um, oh
1: electronic fog the electronic fog yeah
3: it sort of stuck with me and as I would read things in Fortean Times or, or in various books the number of times that. Fog is associated with a UFO event, a ghost event, a time slip. Skinwalker Ranch, actually. Skinwalker Ranch. I mean, there's, I mean, fog is a very, very common element Mm -hmm. in many of these stories. And the other one is light. Yeah. There's an entire book, and I was looking on my phone to see if I could find the name of the book, but there's a book about light phenomenon, which is basically people interacting with very, very bright lights that change them emotionally or intellectually or spiritually. And sometimes it's associated with UFOs and sometimes it's associated with ghosts and sometimes it's neither one but people describing waking up in their rooms and thinking the room's on fire and then realizing it's this bright light coming from outside and then that is either associated with a UFO or or you know fairies or ghosts or whatever but story after story after story people describe the quality of the light as like a fire, which is really weird because that's not our association in the modern age with light. That's our association. Lights. You flick a switch. I would assume people would go, I woke up, light was filling the bedroom. I thought, is there a police helicopter outside? Or is it the full moon? Or is there a car headlights, you know, sort of washing against the wall? That's what I associate. But people say, I woke up and I thought the room was on fire. So the association with fire in the story you tell about a rounded vehicle with fire up its sides, or I don't know if it was... Where was the fire? The was it, was it coming out of the top?
5: It was coming out of the undercarriage <laughs> of the car, but it was upside down. So it was coming out of the car. But I mean, it was engulfed. In the symbolism... Like it was- it was on yeah. fire. I, I so. mean,
3: I mean, the, the idea that someone might see a a UFO and describe a UFO as being well, I mean, the movie Fire in the Sky. Yeah, and then the other so movie so wasn't a VW It was a. You he's claiming it was
5: a fiery UFO. That's what you're claiming. Uh, Uh, wasn't db sweeney in that
0: i can't uh, remember uh, he's 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 the main guy who gets oh the main actor yeah yeah Yeah. might be
3: um people often say that it's like oh my gosh it looked like the woods were on fire but as we came around the road then we saw the the craft right anyway so the fire element is really interesting the fog element is really interesting because these are common motifs in ufo encounters
2: yeah but here's the thing. You know, we were talking about having you on quite some time ago about this story and the varying memories and everything. Like years, honestly, since kind of, since we started the show and I was like that, you know, that'd be so awesome. And if they could come on and then Forrest was just like, we can't do it until you read communion. And I was like, what? And he was like, Dan's always talking about communion. You have to read communion. I was like, <laughs> I don't want to read communion. I tried to read communion when it came out. I got scared. I put it down. I'm not going to read communion. And, this, yes. and it would go back. And we talked yes. about it on the show. And I, because I did, I freaked out like along. I don't know, halfway through chapter two or something. Right. But when we found out that you were going to go ahead and come on over and you guys were going to tell the story, I was like, all right, I'm going to get communion. Yeah. First of all, there's a new one called oh. Communion, a True Story. They changed the title and now it's got like a little preamble from Whitley in it of additional new material. The original book is within that. Okay. So you get it, but you can't find the one with the gray on the cover, right. uh, which I actually own, but it's in a box in another state. So I go to get the new one and I started reading it. And uh, because we've been so busy, I'm about a fourth of the way through. And I got past the point I couldn't get past when I was younger. Okay. <laughs> but there were some things that it, that were very interesting to me about it. Had, I, I didn't know. Have you seen the new printing? No. The,
3: no.
2: Okay. Do you want to know anything new about it? Sure. <laughs> do i not want to know anything does it does it mention me,
5: uh, it if it does,
0: mentions me then no. does it I talk like...
5: about an upside down car on fire or well tanks yes communion now it's red. called
2: communion a true story right was it originally just communion wasn't it
3: i think they added <laughs> no it's always been called communion okay a true well the cover's different is a, a, a yeah. new forward probably yeah oh, it doesn't
2: a... have the gray on the cover no, no it doesn't it has like a ufo i've got it in the house i should have brought it in here so one of the things he talks about in the opening part is about some kind of implant or something being in his ear, and he went to see a doctor, and the doctor went to remove it, and it fled the scalpel,
3: yeah,
2: and moved like through his ear, and they couldn't get it out, and he said to this day it was still in there.
5: And Wait, he also- I'm sorry it it moved away from the scalpel. Yeah. yeah. Okay, had- I just. I just wanted to be
6: clear. Yeah.
2: So the thing fled the scalpel. He says it's still in his ear. He also said there's video of that operation on his website. Really? I haven't gone to it. It's not something I'm eager to watch, but I am, I think, going to try and watch it. But there's there's this ongoing thing about these transplants, or transplants, these implants that not only seem sentient and self-preserving, but also if you remove them, dissolve or disappear or that sort of thing. Right. Dr. Roger Lear, which
1: I believe... Rob Christofferson has talked about uh, with you, Rich. I don't know if uh, you were talking about I- implants. He's kind of the father right. of implant removal. I believe he was a podiatrist, but also could perform minor surgery. Was he the he was one on, like too.
2: saving, keeping these things in a he safe? Had, and no, stuff? well,
1: he had, no, he's got a display case, he's got like a shadow box of them, numbered, and they're just various little bits that he's removed from from people. And I did see video of him. Uh, I think I think he had a fluoroscope going, so it's like live video or imagery of an X ray image. And he's trying to retrieve some with some forceps and it does seem to move. It's it kind of scoots as he tries to get it. Now, I don't know if that's hydraulic action as he's is he's pressing and the fluid, the blood and is pushing the whatever it is, but you can see it there. There are some other pretty compelling ones. There, there. I remember the one that's most compelling to me was a woman who had a no, no, one no, in her no, nasal no, cavity. No, like, now you're checking your skin. Like I, get a I, I had a
0: fatty cyst removed from my arm <laughs> once, but it didn't flee the scalpel. Flee
2: the people, scalpel. I, <laughs> oh, he's yeah. fleeing the scalpel. No. I think people <laughs> he's
1: generally know.
6: He's 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 the scalpel. The scalpel.
1: <laughs> I think the idea is though that people who who they feel other effects. And you're probably fine, if as long as, you know, it's more of an intellectual kind of a mystery to, to solve. But these other people that go to Roger Lear and think that they, you know, they have these other effects going on in these other conditions. And the little unexplained bit is something that goes along with it, right? I mean, that's with, at least with Whitley. Yeah. He said that, you know, the thing had uh, cilia on it. That it was, it looked like it was self propellant
3: I was reading that book, uh, Time Loops, by Eric Wargo.
1: Have you heard about this? I've heard the title, but I don't know. Much, I don't know. I've much heard about it. one in know. five books that you bring up. It just, <laughs> yeah.
3: it just came out in the last year. Okay, that makes it's me feel better. Sort of been getting Time some loops? attention. It's called okay. Time Loops, but and and I've I've only read about half of it. I'm you know I jump around from book to book, but but the most interesting thing about it is that he puts forward a theory that I've never heard before, but I think is really interesting. He cites a story about a guy, this is, you know, turn of the century 1900s, who uh has a very strange dream about being on an island and uh steam is coming up from the ground and he keeps thinking 4000 dead, 4000 dead. And he wakes up and and he's got a bad feeling about this. And then I believe the next day or the day after that he's reading in the newspaper that a volcano has gone off in a South Pacific island and that uh, it is believed that 4,000 people were killed. Now, here's wait, the interesting wait, when thing. Wait, you just read this? Well, this is a story that was related in this book. That came out in the past year? The book came out in the last year, but this event was 100 years ago.
2: But it's so similar to the scenes that you wrote in the movie.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, well, Well, there's always, you know, weird... You know, of, you know, do not know, be
2: afraid, 99 will die, or how are yeah, 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 about yeah, the
3: yeah. Mothman program? was yeah. definitely Mothman stuff. Okay. But the point of this story is that he reads the article, it says 4,000 people are are uh, thought to have died. But then a few days later, when reporters actually get to the island, they realize that much closer to 30,000 people have perished. I mean, there's like massive things, it was like this tsunami that, you know, was... Yeah. And so the theory is that this guy didn't dream about a future event that happened objectively, he dreamt about his own future of reading the newspaper article because that's all he had access to because that's the only event that happened to, in to his him. life. To him. And when you have a dream, you're dreaming about a thing that you're experiencing. So oh, that's the, the, interesting. He cites all these other incidences where people dream about learning about the incident right. rather than the objective occurrence.
1: It's well, less it, by location. And more. Yes, yeah, so so
5: you're my, dreaming about
3: your future.
5: My theory of actual time travel is that the only possible time travel is really thought travel, right? You can potentially travel through thought time.
3: So you travel in thought time when you think about your own memories. And then you travel. And so you travel forward, forward.
5: Is yeah. you know that, that this though, based
0: that's... on that movie time t- uh, time after time with uh, Christopher R- R- Reeves? <laughs> no, <laughs> this
6: is no that a... was somewhere in time. Yes, somewhere a, yeah. in time. Time yeah. after time yeah. is a Cindy. Loper no, song. but it was.
0: Yeah.
3: It's oh. actually uh... it's so <laughs> <different>. But also, <laughs> is it <laughs> based no, on indeed. that Cindy Lauper song? <laughs> it's Malcolm based and on the, David um... Warner time after time Jack the Ripper. But that was yes. HG Wells. Yeah,
5: that was HG Wells. No, it's based on the the Richard Feynman and the, the string theory, the yeah. Brian Greene elegant universe. That's elegant like
0: universe, elegant yes. Universe. He talks about thought time in that. I've, no, I've read I read that.
5: I extrapolated <laughs> that. That's my theory. Right. it's my theory. I don't
2: the, don't remember that section. The interesting thing to me, I mean, obviously this is not a revelation, but the thing about like the wall on Mulholland and how you feel about that, it's obviously strikingly similar to how you would feel if you had PTSD. Oh yeah. Yeah, and the same thing about you thinking every time you go to San Diego about that trip. Yeah. Is there not a high, a road that goes up over a pass that often is foggy on the way to San there Diego? Is.
5: I, I think there is an area on the way to San Diego that does get foggy. So I, you're up I think on this big and hill it's a, and it's a, before you get to the right base near, yeah, it's between kind of the um the 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 nuclear power plant and yes. the base. Yeah. free nuclear.
3: But
2: the
0: power the fog plant. was Thank much you. further north. That's what I was gonna yeah. ask. Geographically was it that spot. the fog was like where where the four oh five and the five come together. Oh. Like oh wow. Area.
2: Okay. It was okay. like right
0: after right after those two merge. Okay. That,
2: that's where the fog was. Yeah, that kind of fog that happens at sea. It, yes, it, But
3: on land, it's not. But it's right like,
5: there on the coast. I mean, I will say. That I, yeah, but like, I mean. But the fog but, but, was weird. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean,
3: you don't really hit the coast till Capistrano. I, I think it's further south. I think. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Let me ask you this, Dan, because I've seen every episode of Phineas and Ferb. Okay. Uh two, All 222, if that's the right number. It is. <laughs> yeah. I haven't counted myself, but
0: that's
6: what
2: they there's tell a PTSD involved there. Yeah. yeah. No. uh the, My question is: Does any of this experience or any of the other experiences you've had do you think it's influenced any of those storylines? There's a fair amount of aliens and Phineas and Ferb coming down for all kinds of fun things. Or is that just typical fun uh, no, stories? I think it's e-
0: easy to go to the alien place. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's <laughs> like, well, we've done everything here,
2: right?
6: You're
5: running out of things.
0: Running out of things to talk about. Yeah. Crap, in in Phineas and Ferb, we've done a lot. Two hundred and
5: twenty episodes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's.
0: um, I don't think so. There's, you know, the alien language that I always use in Phineas and Ferb and uh, in Milo Murphy's Law was always um, stuff in English read backwards. Okay. Like Buffalo, New York is Croy Winola Fub. Or, yeah, right. Or, uh, or the, the Big Mac song, Two All Beef Patties, Special Sauce, Lettuce, Cheese, Pickles, Onions on a Sesame Seed Bun. Yes. Is Masas, Ano Snoino Selka, licep sita Bibla, Ut. <laughs> and I made that, oh, nice. and, and I, r- that I memorized be that when I was recorded. like twelve <laughs> and it's been in, it's been rattling around in my brain all this time. I
5: remember you doing that in college.
0: I yeah. remember
3: that too. Yeah. And that's so amazing. that's
0: like a whole conversation in Milo Murphy's Law. The, the, oh nice. Some guys are like, No I Yes. Nice. Nice. We found our quote for the episode.
2: Yeah, I think so.
1: Is there any other kind of connection to this? Because I think, you know, again, I was going to confer with Rich as far as like, you know, histories of people who this turns out to be a lifelong thing, not great spans of time can pass, but it never seems to kind of leave you unless there's a kind of a finality to it where you get the message like we're done with you." you, like go on with your life. But other than just thinking about it, do you feel any kind of connection that keeps like reverberations that happen? or is it just kind of a, an interesting thought you kind of muse about every once in a while
0: like telling the story today did not freak me the hell out
6: yeah yeah.
0: um there was a long time where it, it, where you know I would I would only tell the story like once every two or three years I wouldn't even think of the story for years at, at, at a time but when I would tell the story it would freak me the hell out I would I would get really you know like like I'd get all spooked out I'd spook myself out about yeah. it and now I'm just like, okay, it's just something weird that happened to me that I don't really have an explanation for. Right. You know, I'm sort of like Susan at this point, where it's like, my life isn't going to be made better by finding, by looking into that more yeah. at this point. And I'm, you know, I'm in my 50s now. I don't, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, when I was younger and hungry for knowledge about what the universe was like, it's like, you know, th- for all intents and purposes, the universe is like this. I've read all sorts of cool books about, uh, you know, I read the the holographic universe, which is fantastic. No, great. I've been wanting to read Balanced that one. a and, uh, and about what your perception is, what's the definition of real anyway. If you experience something, does that make it real or is that just something that your brain made up? With hallucinations. When I was in the hospital uh, after uh, appendicitis, I was talking on the phone to somebody and my dad walked into the room and got up on a chair and started banging his head against the ceiling tiles. And that was as real as anybody else in the room at the time like that. And I was la- like laughing. And I said, my my dad's in the room was it like that. And my dad on the telephone from work said, who's in the room? And I went, oh, I guess he's not really there. And he just sort of dissolved. Oh. And You know, it's like, but, you know, like your perception of what is real yeah. is, what's the definition of, uh, uh, of real? So at this point in my life, it doesn't bother me anymore. And so I don't really look into it. Right. Or see anything.
2: I get your point because you've read Communion. You're concerned. Firstly, you're saying it doesn't really, you don't need to know at this point. But if you were to get hypnotized as uh, Whitley Stryber did and try to figure out what happened, what that experience was, you're concerned that you might not have an authentic memory because you've been exposed to all the things that he was. Right. You have not read Communion. Correct. He said, you might be interested if you, are you interested in doing this? seen the stuff. Seen the cover. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's enough. Would you be interested in being hypnotized to see what you could remember about these trips? If you get hypnotized, I'll get. No, me. you say no.
5: <laughs> I'm gonna say no. I okay. mean, okay. you know, it's interesting well, because um, and that was his guest. We had um, a psychic come. Um, a medium. A medium. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. A medium came to your yeah, house. I, I was. Uh, I was hoping you'd right. jump in and explain. An I extra don't, large. An extra large. <laughs> <laughs> Again, my it's my theory that drives Richard crazy, which is it's kind of all science to me. It's just unexplained science, right? Mm. So like the universe is amazing and crazy and big and at its biggest level and its smallest level, it is inexplicable. And so it can sort of encompass a lot of things. Um, But some of that is uh, scary to experience. I didn't read communion because I didn't want to be scared by that. Um, But also because it, it wasn't like I like reading scary stuff sometimes, but that wasn't a thing I wanted to explore. And so I'm not all that thrilled to be like, oh, I want to find out what happened. If it continued to happen, I probably would have more of that feeling of like, hold on, I got to. You
0: know, but They're done with us now.
5: Right, I have. You know, it's like it's they've like, had
0: enough of our crap.
5: Like, so far, it hasn't been a crowd. We weren't that interesting. They threw yes. us back. Yeah. Right, yeah. we were yeah. too so small. That's um, but that's the thing. It's like if it if it continued to happen, then maybe I would feel the need to, or if I felt it continued to happen, maybe yeah. it's happening. I don't know. But well, I don't that, feel... the,
0: that was the thing that freaked me out during that time. Was like like okay. If this is actually happening, if communion is true, if a, right. communion is a true story, which I actually think that he at least believes it is, yes. they can take out your memory and splice it back together, then they're very freaking good at it. And it could have just happened to all of us right now, and we would never know. And that being that far out of control of your own consciousness sure. was terrifying to me. And that's that's when I, th- when I had that big psychotic break in the in the in the parking lot and just decided not to you know like that was the thing that really hit me was like here i am in the place sort of where it happened whatever it was and it could have just happened again and i wouldn't know it and right. the, you know the, it, that's the thing that made it scary to me and made me think and i i'm okay not knowing
5: this this experience felt like we're missing something right like it doesn't but the experience itself Again, the San Diego one more it was than weird, but, the, but it wasn't it was like, weird after the fact. It yes. wasn't weird during the fact, right? Um, well, the fog was weird
0: during the, fact. the fog was weird, yeah. but I'm I'm
5: talking about the trip to Mulholland. Yeah. That that oh yeah, that was just that was a drive ahead. to Mulholland that just ended up being taking too long, and like it didn't make, yeah. it doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily have a I have some weird feelings because when we try to piece it together, yeah. But the feeling of the drive itself was not bad. Right. Yeah, there
0: was nothing and, remarkable at all about the drive other than how fast we were going on the, the um, freeway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but again, and I think it's that the... I
5: don't want to look into the abyss too often and too much. Yeah, I know I you guess. guys, that's well, your whole that's your whole story, right? Uh, the whole we we
1: peak and then run away because it's at some point, you know what you're describing, it's like the John Keel character in the Mothman. It's like there's a phone call that could maybe answer everything from your long lost wife but it may only lead to madness as well because it's nothing it's not the answer you'll never know
0: which of those it is right
1: right because uh, here's one thing it's like you know the the movie got panned but i actually watched it last night i'd I'd seen you know chunks of it on on tv here and there and and there was i think one scene that is not in the book communion oh Oh, yeah with the with the christopher walken chewing the scenery and just It's a little over the top, but, you know, screenplay by Whitley Stryber. There was one scene, though, which is, yeah, that's the it gets kind of ridiculous because they're the aliens are dancing and he sees a version of himself pencil in his ear. Yeah, it's just he sees a version of himself, which is kind of like the medium of communication, not so much with the aliens and is not spoiling it. But this is one part where the alien kind of takes off a mask and he sees maybe this unveiling of what these things really are. and a piece of a mask comes off and it's something grotesque and Christopher Streber in the movie saying like, no, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. That's the real, you know, that's the truth of you. Is that you, what you are is kind of like a Chinese box. You take away one part and there's something else behind it. And there's something else behind that. And there's something else behind that. And then the comical version of or what his dream self kind of as a magician says, what you have to understand is you're never going to get the truth. You'll never see us essentially. So you're going to have to deal with that fact. There is no answer here. So you kind of have to walk away with what you got and make, your, make some sense of, of it, whatever you can. But you're not going to get the real truth. That's just not allowable. You know, right. That yeah. is like
3: Mothman prophecies. I mean, that is yeah. kind yeah. of the theme is that the answer is not available. Right. You know, we're not going to get it here and now.
1: Yeah. So
3: you're, And you're, that's
5: so quantum physics, right? Yeah. I mean, that, like, and that's sort of where like, you can't know.
2: Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, both answers it's and, both and answers neither. Neither particle answer. Du-
5: and particle
0: duality of, uh, right. of light and stuff.
5: If you're if you're looking at the particle, then you it's not where it was. Or right, like you yeah. know. So I'm saying it all wrong, which is why I'm not a <laughs> physics professor. <laughs>
3: but I do um, like I I do like this very human impulse to set aside the thing that doesn't fit. Yeah. And not feel that it has to, it's like, you know what? Everything else in my life I can pretty much track makes a lot of sense. This thing doesn't fit. I'm just going to move on and it'll always be off to the side. And that's, to me, very psychologically adaptive. And it's a, a real healthy way of dealing with these things that don't make sense. And I think it's sort of the opposite of the assumption that, oh, people are always tr- trying to, you know, mystify their lives and make things more magical and weird, but they're really all very explainable. Mm-hmm. I think most people either try to explain the weird things that happen in their life, or if they can't, they just simply set it aside and they don't let it drive them nuts.
5: Right. You set that yeah. puzzle piece. Well,
3: that, yeah. What's, uh, what's interesting is
5: during that time
0: where I was going crazy and, and where, where, <laughs> yes. where, where you thought I was going crazy, I would tell this story to everybody to to, to yeah. see if anybody could poke holes in my mm-hmm. you know in, in in what I'd figured out. And the first thing I would say is, "Has anything unexplainable ever happened to you?" And, and to a person, they all said no. Hmm. And then I would tell my story, and they would go, "Oh, wait a minute!" And they'd have a uh, have like a ghost story <laughs> oh or man. or a UFO sighting. Yeah. Or something like that, that they weren't even thinking of, you know, and I asked them the question, has anything unexplainable ever happened to you? And that didn't bring Mm -hmm. that up into their brain. It took me telling my story and making it okay for their brain to go find that.
3: Yeah, Uh, that's interesting. I think these things get buried. People don't want to think about them, and they don't think about them, and they put them away. And I think they're underreported. The notion, I, again, that it's like, oh, everyone sees the full moon, and suddenly they've seen a UFO. I think it's the opposite.
1: Well, thank yeah. you so
6: much. Yes, uh, absolutely. We really
1: appreciate it. It's, it's you've been very generous with your time and your and your stories here, and and I think that's how we share a sense of community when we do share our stories. Yeah, and that's what we've hoped to achieve here.
5: If you want Dan's, doodles, oh look at Perry! Go oh my God! Twitter. Okay. Oh wait, yes. Follow Dan on Twitter. For I got dibs
2: on this. Yeah, we yeah. we will I'm post everybody's, everybody's uh, on Twitter. stuff at Dan Povenmire on Twitter. Look at
1: that. I'm at, kick. Susan,
5: Lambert, but at Susan Lambert. At Susan Lambert. Also at, at
1: 134 West. Do you see your at productions? Yes. At 134 underscore,
5: West, underscore West. We're doing Macbeth and um, right. and yeah. a new play that I wrote called Confidence. Yeah. And the speech. Yeah. About Carter's 1979 crisis of confidence speech and what it means to me in oh, modern times.
3: Very nice. Yeah.
1: Rich anything to plug no, no, no,
3: no. Okay. You you've, you've got all my information. You've been I want the, we're I want making a new and verb movie for
0: Disney Plus. Oh, really? Oh, that's awesome. We are. So, is that so, coming it, out? Uh, I think sometime It's it, sometime 2020, I think it's summer is what, okay. they're, what they're what they're
1: looking at because that's what the show's all about. Excellent. So. All right. Here we
0: go. Yeah.
6: Very
1: nice.
2: Recording is off there. And three,
1: two, oh, we're already off the air.
2: Okay, so there's that story. (laughs) Pretty interesting. It's a really fascinating story, and we actually had intended to come back after the roundtable and talk a little bit about missing time stories in general, but then it occurred to us, hey, we're not the experts here, but you know, the longer we've been at this, we are getting more connected with people who are experts.
1: Yeah, and that's a good thing because people that we know that have these stories and they tell them to us, their question to us immediately is, what is this? What's going on? Well, We may never know, but we can get a good insight on it with some good hypotheses. So we reached out to our good friend, fellow podcaster, and the original king of paranormal podcasting, Jim Harold, and we asked him if he could
2: connect us with his friend and frequent guest, Micah Hanks. Micah is such a prolific writer and contributor to so many of the websites we come across during our research that his name has been coming up constantly for years, including uh, he's a frequent contributor at Mysterious Universe. We're thrilled to have him on the show tonight to talk about Dan and Susan's story with us. And we'd also like to thank Jim Harold again for getting us connected.
1: Yes. And by the way, you can find Jim's podcasts anywhere you find all of our shows. And that includes the Paranormal Podcast with Jim Harold and Campfire, along with many others in his Paranormal
2: Plus Club. All right, let's roll our conversation on Missing Time with Micah Hanks. We would like to welcome, for the first time and it's way overdue, Micah Hanks to Astonishing Legends. To uh, he He agreed to come on the show and talk to us a little bit about the story you just heard. Micah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today.
4: Well, oh, guys, it is my pleasure. I am definitely a fan of the program. And of course, our mutual friend Jim Harold has told me so much about the stuff you guys have been doing lately. And so I'm really glad we could connect. We're grateful as well. And I do want to give I'm
2: glad you mentioned Jim. We want to give him a big shout out for making this happen. Uh, for any of our listeners that don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about uh, Jim Harold, who has the Jim Harold show and uh, about 25 other shows, all amazing. My favorite one is Campfire. So you guys should look for that wherever you can get your podcasts. And uh, so, Micah, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell them a, a little bit about what you do and your background.
4: Yeah, certainly. You know, I actually grew up like a lot of people who listen to this podcast and, in fact, actually, the hosts on the other end of the mic. Uh, <laughs> you guys, I'm sure, are probably like me in the sense that you grew up reading about these subjects. And, you know, a passion of mine has always been anthropology. And I'm actually a lot more involved with Southeastern Archaeology these days with what's called the Seven Ages Research Associates. I'm a co-founder of that group. And uh, we do a podcast in addition to a couple of long-running podcasts I've been doing now. uh, The Graylian Report is probably what I'm best known for. And that podcast has been available, gosh, I mean, I've been doing it since 2011. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, but I had six years in broadcast radio before that for what is now iHeartMedia. Oh, cool. But uh, it, was, it was still clear channel radio at the time. And so I actually have a background in radio production. And, uh, you know, that kind of carried over naturally into podcasting. But, but long before any of that, yeah, I was reading these kinds of books and these kinds of stories. And I was always fascinated with the unexplained. And although, you know, I try to take a very critically minded and objective approach to it these days, it is inherently skeptical, but I don't think that I favor usage of the term skeptic in the sense of the big S skeptic uh, for myself anymore because for a long time I called myself a skeptic. And what I've come to believe is that, well, first of all, like John Keel said, belief is the enemy. You never believe something just because you feel like you want to. And I also think that at times when people espouse skepticism, they too are equally given to belief systems. And you never enter with prejudgment when you're going to s- discuss various phenomena in nature. There is a lot about our world, our universe, I think, that is undiscovered, some phenomena that are observable but which we don't fully understand and If you you know place a mental boundary there and say that can't exist, therefore I won't talk about it. I think you're doing both yourself and maybe in the broader sense of things, you know science. bit of a disservice. So, you know, we got to be cautious and careful the way that we approach these things, but I'm all open for discussion. And so one more reason I'm glad to be uh, joining the roundtable talking with you guys today.
2: Well, we're glad to have you on and you just very eloquently summed up something that we've been stammering through for 145 episodes and not ever said (laughs) as as efficiently.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. The the approach of the non-belief of anything at the outset or just denial, which we think is not really examining the subject at hand. It's taking a stance before you even
4: start. I think that you have to look at a subject before you can know whether there's something to it or not. And so there are a lot of subjects like that that I would find of interest. And I think that in order to be able to discern whether there's something worthy of scientific study or even if we were to borrow a Charles Fort-ism, you know, that Mm. labeling of the damned, you know, the procession of (laughs) the damned. Again, if if we're going to label it an anomaly... You know, it has to be looked at first. And so a good example, just to be brief here, I think of a subject that we're seeing kind of go through this, not maybe just a renaissance, if anything, I think a sort of glass ceiling has broken. That's with UFOs. Yeah. And that's not making the claim that what we're dealing with are alien visitors. That's not making any extraordinary claim, apart from the fact that there are things apparently that our Navy and that the U.S. Air Force and other agencies have been looking at. We're still learning about what exactly the Pentagon program, known as the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, may have entailed. But again, what we do know is that government takes that subject seriously. Uh, At very least, we should be open to the possibility that there may be things that new instrumental data and technologies are allowing us to observe for which there may have been existing anecdotal data already for decades, maybe centuries. Maybe we're getting to a point, in other words, with human technological development that we are able to kind of close in on some of these things. And like so many scientific discoveries from the past that were once considered crazy ideas until they were proven and then accepted and brought into the broader scientific narrative and the body of evidence that we now can look at and say, factually, this is something that's determinable. We know it exists. We know how this works. You know, maybe there are still some as yet discovered or perhaps not yet understood phenomena that will also enter that realm. That's the history of science, right? So I think it pays to be open-minded. You've got to just be careful in how you approach it. Well, in light of all that, that brings us to a good segue to tonight's
1: discussion, because when you have things like archaeology and anthropology, you're studying bones or pottery, or you have some physical things, and even what you were just talking about— Now, we seem to have some pretty good Navy military footage here from targeting devices and and technology that shows an object that seems to be doing unexplainable things. And you have great reports like that. But when it comes to something like possible time slips... What do we have to study? What is there other than the anecdotes that we have from people that even if you believe them, how do we catalog this and how do we study? What's what's going on here essentially?
4: Yeah, it's kind of a difficult one to wade into. And when you guys first reached out to me and said, this is what we'd like to talk about with you, I was kind of like, oh gosh, what can be said? Because again, when we look at, for instance, the ATFLIR systems on our Navy's aircraft filming some sort of an object, and again, for what we may know, that could actually be some kind of a new technology of our own. That could be Mm -hmm. some sort of a drone technology. It was being field tested. Maybe some of the pilots that were involved in that scenario weren't up to speed on the test that was being done. There could have been, you know, a strategic kind of an exercise that was going on and they were testing people's reactions to things. At the end of the day, though, nonetheless, we have what appears to be a physical object. Now, with the subject of time slips, it's not so much the case. And so we're kind of left to have to go, well then what are we dealing with? Is this, you know, some sort of a phenomenon that has to do with human perception, lapses in human perception or awareness, altered states of consciousness, or is there a valid physical phenomena that can account for this? And so, you know, when Dan and Susan in the round table from earlier were talking about Having both shared the sense that they had been traveling in one stretch of highway at a particular time, before rush hour, Mm -hmm. and they arrive at their destination and they're so much later than they thought that they were going to be and they could not account for that. Again, it would be one thing if one person says that's what happens. When two people say that they've shared not only an experience like that on one occasion but actually maybe more than once, that is interesting to me. And traditionally, we should actually kind of define time slips, because what I would call what they're describing, Mm -hmm. I would actually call that missing time. And I think you guys have used that expression, too. I would differentiate that from the traditional idea of a time slip. Some of the most famous instances that involve this alleged phenomenon uh, would include the Moberly-Jordan incident uh, that occurred, I think, in 1901 at uh, Versailles. And, uh, you know, a pair of women actually were walking along and claimed that they were able to see an environment and people that seemed to hail from a much earlier era. Another variety of a sort of time slip might involve what uh, pilot Bruce Gurnan, far more recently, just within the last few decades, described uh, when he was flying an aircraft off the East Coast, southbound, and was able to traverse a tremendous amount of distance in a short amount of time.
2: Uh, so glad you brought that up. You have no way yeah. of knowing this because you probably aren't familiar with our entire back catalog, but we had Bruce on the show. We covered oh. electronic fog. We And yeah. I was going to ask you about it, and you huh. beat me to the punch.
4: That's right, because I'm psychic, guys. Let's just face <laughs> it. <laughs> but Bruce's story, you know, I, I'm equally fascinated. My good friend and colleague, Ryan Sprague, also interviewed him about that incident. And like you mentioned, with the whole electronic fog thing, he said that he entered a like a cloud, what some have likened to a roll cloud. And if you've lived out off on the coast at any time, you've, you've probably seen what a roll cloud is. And these are, as the name would entail, I mean, they're very large kind of tubular clouds that stretch along the coast. And some have speculated that if one flew into one of these clouds, it might superficially increase the speed of the aircraft. But again, that is an equally speculative supposition. That is speculation, which some have tried to use to debunk what his primary claim is, which is that he seemed to have warped, you know, and traveled a great distance in a short amount of time. In any case, there seems to be if his story is accurate. And there, of course, he wasn't in the plane by himself. I think his father was in the plane too, right? Yes, and one and a business partner of his father's. Yeah. Yeah. And so once again, here are a group of observers who all say that they experienced the same thing and had the same recollection of both the experience and the passage of time. And so to try and say that, well, maybe they flew into a roll cloud and this actually moved their plane along more quickly, that to me is equally fascinating if you want to call that a more skeptical interpretation. To me, it is equally speculative. And... What troubles me is when people are, I guess, so skeptical that their interpretation would be that, well, those people are just liars and they're trying to make money. That's where I stop. You know, ad hominem, we don't need that. And the skeptical interpretation that anyone who tells about an extraordinary claim is just trying to make money. You don't have to tell me how much Dan and Susan were paid, by the way. (laughs) I mean, Uh, just a pizza. Again, that's early pay here. Yeah, (laughs) And that's the whole thing. Again, how else would they benefit from sharing a story that, again, based on my listening, of them telling the story, I mean, it seemed entirely genuine, and they seemed genuinely perplexed by having had that, again, shared that experience. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting to me. And so the way I try to approach this is, okay, on the levels of human perception— and our understanding of time, whatever that is, and we can get into that in a moment too, you know, what could we be dealing with here? And I think this is going to take us a little down the physics rabbit hole. I guess you call it a wormhole in physics, though, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs)
2: And we love to talk about physics, and we know just not enough to uh, keep it interesting because we're completely clueless, but it's – we'd love to hear anything that you have on this. You had indicated to me that you might have uh, something to – something to share with regard to how time is perceived.
4: Well, yeah, certainly. And I actually want to, you know, we'll start there, but I want to move from perception of time and, and, you know, thermodynamic laws in relation to that. We'll go from there, and then we can maybe touch on the idea of simulated reality. And then finally, I'd actually like to talk about dreams, premonitions, and synchronicity. Great. uh, Because I actually think that all these things may be related. Now, let's draw the line in the sand. We are entering the realm of speculation. So, you know, for Mm -hmm. all the hateful, angry bloggers out there who... (laughs) You know who are going to troll me and say this is what Hanks believes. You know, let's <laughs> let's just. Be, I'm sure you guys get plenty of that too. I mean, uh, you yeah. know, I think it's okay to have a conversation, ladies and gents, and we don't have to commit to belief in it. The late great Mac Tonnies, a friend of mine, his final book was all about his hypothesis about a potential crypto-terrestrial civilization that might exist here on Earth. He didn't believe it, according to most who knew him, but he wrote this eloquent essay about the you know, the idea without marrying himself to it because he thought it was an interesting idea to discuss. So in that tradition of Mac Tony's, let us proceed. Indeed. <laughs> hey, that rhymed. <laughs> my favorite chapter in uh, the late and great physicist Stephen Hawking's book, A Brief History of Time, in my copy, I wish we were all here together because I would have brought it and shown it to you. And I have mine right here. It's raggedy. It's beautiful, you know, because it spent way too much time on way too many old shelves. And when I finally found it in the bookstore someplace, I was like, yep, that's it. And I grabbed it raggedy and dusty and moldy, and I've loved it ever since. But my favorite chapter in that book is on the arrow of time. And actually, for those who haven't ever read this book, you need to read it. But don't get the shorter, the condensed version, a briefer history of time. It's already Mm -hmm. brief, guys. You don't Mm -hmm. need to make it any shorter. (laughs) And I think that the briefer history of time omits a lot of that chapter from the original version of the text about the arrow of time. So I'm telling you, make sure you get the full version and read that chapter. Now, in that chapter, Hawking basically presents the argument that, first of all, there is acknowledged to be the concept that we know is an arrow of time. He actually points it out in three different areas of physics, the thermodynamic arrow of time, and then there's the psychological arrow of time pertaining to human perception of time, as we perceive it as passing, and then also in terms of cosmology, a sort of cosmological arrow of time. And in that chapter, he says, what I want to try and present is the argument that the thermodynamic relationship to the arrow of time actually explains the psychological arrow of time and that those two actually jibe completely. And so that's where we'll kind of work right now for today's uh, lesson. Okay. Because in the thermodynamic range of phenomena, again, he basically makes the point that time, I guess we could say moves or proceeds in the same order in which entropy increases. Now, in order to understand what he's talking about and how that relates to human memory, and this is interesting, and I want to really make this point because we're going to kind of dovetail back around to this, but human memory in terms of, brain function. Hawking actually said in his book, he said, we don't understand all the workings of the human mind. And so it would be difficult for us to frame the argument in terms of the workings of a mind that we don't fully understand. Beautifully poignant uh, statement right there. So we'll come back to that because that's entirely relevant to what we're going to be discussing. But he said, instead, for purposes of our argument, we're going to talk about how a computer works because a computer, if there ever truly was anything, you know, as, as God made man in his image, if humans were making an atom, our atom would be the computer. More and more computers are becoming more and more like intelligent thinking machines. And even if they don't resemble us physically, their function is very much becoming like how our brains function. And Hawking said that, you know, decades ago, he said, look, let's look at how a computer works. That's the best corollary for understanding how this applies to our mind. Now he says, a computer, even if you take a very simple computer like an abacus, You can move a bead across a string, and you create a little order in the universe when you've done this. But there's energy that is expended in moving that bead. And he says the big problem that we face in terms of thermodynamic laws, specifically the second law of thermodynamics, is that no matter how much order is ever created in the universe, things always trend toward a state of disorder. Quick example, you know, if you've got like a glass of water sitting on the edge of a table where your mom always told you, don't put that glass of water— so you reach over and you accidentally knock it right off the table. Well, when that glass breaks on the ground, the glass, you might be able to roughly reassemble it with some super glue and a lot of love, but it ain't going to look like that glass looked before it fell off the table. Mm-hmm. And this is a great illustration of the thermodynamic principle we're talking about here. So great, in fact, that Hawking uses it in his book because he said, you're never going to see Humpty Dumpty put himself back together again. And that's really what that whole rhyme is all about. When we look at things that trend toward that state of disorder it's easy to get into that state of disorder very hard impossible in fact to reassemble the egg or the broken glass or whatever else or the laptop computer that finally dies with all your files on it and so he said we can really see very clearly how things in the universe trend toward this state of disorder now if we look at memory as a function of that we can create all the order in the world but there's always more energy spent in creating that order it's always disproportional in that regard i can read hawking's entire book i can commit a lot of the ideas to memory but i have to eat food in order to have the energy to be able to stay awake and to read that mm-hmm. book i'm going to have to consume several cups of coffee i'm going to have to run out and drive around and you know run errands because i've got to pay bills i've got to maintain my own you know life and living and so in the process of reading a book and committing to memory and creating order in the universe there's a lot of energy that it's spent and so hawking made the contention that essentially our brains work the same way and because of this because we are beholden to entropy and that thermodynamic arrow of time we aren't able to remember future events in a block universe he says i mean again future could be as real as the past and every time i say right now that just became the past right now just became another moment in our collective perception of the past. Right, guys? Mm. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so he said, you know, again, with this thermodynamic element in mind, I think that the thermodynamic principle explains the human perceptive principle. And hence, in this universe in which we occupy, we'll never be able to get around the fact that we remember past experiences. And then finally, the cosmological idea is that, you know, as the universe is expanding outward, again, there is this same thermodynamic arrow of time. Now, Assuming that at some point the universe enters a contraction phase and Hawking and others have raised conjectures about this, it's maybe conceivable that people's thermodynamic arrow actually would move in reverse. They would effectively remember the future. But again, and this is why I said we would come back to Hawking saying we use the computer as an example for what we're talking about, even though we're really looking at the human mind, but we don't understand all the functions of the human mind. There was something really interesting that Susan brought up during the conversation And it had to do with people who have premonitions, but not of an event that actually occurs. They have a dream or they have a premonition of their own learning about it in reading a newspaper. Again, they may learn about the event, but it is relative to their own experience learning about that at a future time. And that's fascinating to me because it seems to say that while, you know, some people may make fairly extraordinary claims about, you know, having psychic predictions and things like that. A far more credible version of that is rather than being Professor Charles Xavier hooked up to Cerebro and being able to read, you know, all people's minds all over the world, that you can see very limited aspects, little glimpses at times of your own future and how that relates to a broader reality. But nonetheless, confined to your own personal experiences, that sounds an awful lot to me like the idea of some what we might call like a hiccup in the thermodynamic relationship between human memory and time in the broader sense of a time that could actually exist outside of our perceptual awareness so when we have these discussions about people you know driving down the roads and having these mutually shared again what a psychologist might call that an aberration keeping in mind that dr benjamin simon when he first met with betty and barney hill i think that story came up during the conversation too he referred to it as a mutually shared mental aberration there's no other way that he could reconcile the events and explain it But again, what's fascinating is people nonetheless seem to share aspects of these experiences. If it were only existing in the mind, if it were just a failure of perception, a failure of awareness, you know, an altered state that should be relegated only to one individual. Mm -hmm. And so I have questions about, you know, again, are there some instances where not literal time travel, not people warping, you know, or or making a quantum leap like the old television program from the 1980s. I loved it when I was a kid. (laughs) I mean... Are there other aspects of all this on the perceptual level in relation to thermodynamics that maybe bespeak something we haven't quite figured out yet about the function of the mind? And so, although I don't think Hawking, with full respect to the late physicist, I don't think he would agree with my conjectures here, but Mm. I feel that he did, in the way he phrased it in his book, somewhat leave the conversation open with regard to acknowledgement of we don't understand all the functions of the mind our most advanced neurobiology today, hasn't cracked that incredible nut within our cranium. So I think there's definitely room for discussion about this because since time immemorial, many have written about the human experience of precognition or of having impressions. Guys, I've experienced it too. I don't claim to have special powers. I don't claim to be psychic, but I've definitely had strange impressions, feelings about things, Certain people in my life I have a stronger connection to, and we may have a shared experience like that. And so, this actually have a, may have a lot more to do with that thing that we still can't define but collectively refer to as consciousness. And that to me is really fascinating. So, are we talking about maybe a hiccup between perception and this
1: arrow of time in the thermodynamic sense, and that, uh, or there was a hiccup itself in the thermodynamic? Arrow of time, and that somehow between two people experiencing that, like they're, they, yeah, is it an internal
2: yeah. experience or an external experience that you're subjected to, or a combination of both?
4: I wouldn't begin to know, but I think again that the questions you're asking are the right questions to ask. And again, I would say that rather than, although I'd even previously referred to it as a hiccup myself, I think that a better way to to look at this might be uh, that this is some sort of a a latent. Ability that maybe at some time in the ancient past, let me put it to you like this okay, the sense of smell, right, is with humans far less developed than your cat or your dog. You know, your dog can smell what kind of animal has been where he's walking, how long ago it was there, and he can follow that trail by putting his nose to the ground. Now, you and I can't do that. Most of us at least can't. Our eyesight isn't as developed as those animals. And you can begin to see, in fact, actually, some have posited the idea that human sense of smell may eventually just go away because it's not something that we really need so much in terms of it, you know, providing an evolutionary benefit to our survival like it does other animals. It very well could be that at one time, something akin to precognition was a natural function of the human mind. Now, what in the world would that do? You know, we're all walking around like telepaths and we're able to perceive things before they happen. It sounds very silly in the in the context of a, of a discussion like this for people who have never maybe considered the idea of how it might actually function, why it might be there, why some humans experience it, and maybe even why certain ones experience it more than others. But uh, Daryl Bim did a very interesting study a few years ago that was called Feeling the Future. And what he actually found was that people's apparent latent ability to predict something that was about to occur seemed to uh, spike a little prior to a person being shown erotic imagery. That's tantalizing, Mm. isn't it? (laughs) And a lot of people have made fun of that. But that was really incredible to me because I'll never forget a a conversation I had with a very good friend of mine and a a wonderful two-time national champion banjo player named Charles Wood. He's kind of the perennial skeptic on a lot of these kind of subjects. And so I always kind of tease him and I'll ask him questions about things. And I asked him one night, I said, Charles, you ever had a precognitive moment or a psychic experience? And he said, well, no. And he was really serious too. But he said, every girl that I've ever dated, I knew the moment I saw her that I would end up dating her. And I thought, no, that's interesting. Because again, what if in terms of, you know, finding a partner in terms of procreation, you know, what if like in Daryl Bim's study, there seems to be some sort of a link between precognition and the idea of you know, arousal or, again, procreation. So that would be one example, I would think, in terms of an evolutionary way of framing this, that that could actually have been beneficial to people. Or in terms of general survival, again, if there is something that is a threat to the lives of people who uh, you know, might be close to you, again, often when people claim that they've had these sorts of flashes of awareness or a, you know a, an intuition, oh, God, don't get on that plane, don't do this, don't do that, it is in response to a potential threat. So again, there's typically, if if it's not procreative, there's an existential component to it. And so often, if you actually look at the literature, it seems to me very much that the idea of some sort of a latent kind of a capacity for being able to have a broader awareness beyond what our normal known senses can perceive would make sense. Now, that doesn't mean it absolutely exists. I'm speculating about how it could exist and what the reason might be. But again, if you look at the literature, a lot of people claim they had these experiences, right? Yeah.
2: Oh, it's fascinating. And I mean, you struck a chord with me. I mean, it's a very personal thing, I guess, for me to say on the air, but I knew pretty much the minute I saw my wife that I was going to marry her. Oh, there you go. And we're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. And I I proposed to her six weeks after we met. I know that feeling, oddly, that you just described, and I never really thought about it in that context until
4: you just said it. Right. And again, I'm a big fan of the idea that things that people would label paranormal – I don't even like that term paranormal because like so many other terms, they have stigmas associated with them. But I'm a big fan of the idea that those things which we call paranormal – are simply normal things that we don't have a full understanding of yet. It's kind of like the idea of an enemy is just a friend you haven't made yet. Boy, if, if everybody thought about it that way, we'd all get along so much better. <laughs> but again, I, th- I think that that's a, a better way to think about these ideas that get relegated to the waste bin of history and science and deemed paranormal fringe ideas. Yeah, some of them are bunk and some of them are really silly. And I caution people and say, always maintain a skeptical frame of mind. But you've got to, at very least, if there is a wealth of anecdotal data about a particular subject or a commonality in terms of an experience that people describe having, we do ourselves no favors by dismissing it out of hand. We need to, at very least, entertain an idea. And framing the debate in this way, to me, is a way of understanding that, hey, you know, this may be something that we don't understand. It may be something that also humans have less need for now, and we don't see very much of it. But at one time, this could be something that helped us interact with each other and our environment. So it's a vestigial skill. Sort of like that. Yeah. Kind of like other vestigial, you know, uh, remnants of who we once were, you know, pharyngeal gill slits and things uh, that, you know, people in, in various stages of development while, uh, you know, moving from the embryonic stage to birth that humans actually go through in the womb and things like this. Yeah. Again, we can already see vestiges of what we once were. Maybe this is a part of that also. In framing the conversation that way, which you've uh, very skillfully done, how do you think that relates to Dan and Susan's experience? it may not relate directly you know again what i'm trying to kind of do in my approach is really trying to understand are there levels of human perception that we don't fully understand and thermodynamically and otherwise how can we try to reconcile that now again what they describe i wouldn't call that a time slip i would look at that as more like a missing time kind of an experience and yes we have to acknowledge that many people who have claimed to have had the experience known as alien abduction they describe similar things uh, where they have this period of time, a gap in memory where all, all of a sudden they've been out walking on a beautiful sunny afternoon and then it's nighttime. Now there are a variety of ways that we might reconcile that. If a person again, walking alone in the forest, you know, suffers from some sort of a condition, a neurological disorder or something like that, there are a lot of things that could cause a break in perception. But as Dan was describing, he seemed to have full recollection of the experience. Plus Susan was in the car with him, And he said at one point that, you know, when he got to the location and they told him, look, he waited on you for, you know, however long, and they realized, hold on, wait, is there something from our immediate past that we we can't remember, that we can't reconcile in our existing memory? And he talked about it. I think he actually termed it like he had a a, almost a near psychotic break from reality in the sense, again to paraphrase his own words, in trying to understand where did my memory of that experience go? if we're here and we're so late. Now, what's interesting is I did bring up the A word, alien. But a long time ago, I really began to drive home the point with my friends in in the ufological circles, if you will, that we need to maybe break apart the missing time and even the broader so-called abduction experience. And that's not to try and dismiss it or anything by saying so-called, but I would merely point out that there have been many people over the years who have claimed to have abduction-like experiences Some who would even explain that they have had a missing time kind of thing like Dan and Susan, but they have no recollection of seeing, you know, any kind of non-human entities, anything like that. That experience is not exclusive to UFO experiences. And often many who claim they've had that experience have no recollection of seeing any kind of unidentified flying object or landed object for that matter. So I don't think that those two phenomena are necessarily always connected. But what you can't deny is the fact that many people who have had the perennial abduction experience, and that that is something that kind of mirrors similar cultural experiences that go back into folklore, you know, spanning millennia probably. But what we also have is, and what I think we have have to also understand, is modern accounts that have been provided in, for instance, uh, literature pertaining to psychedelic experiments, clinical DEA studies with dimethyltryptamine, DMT, Mm. things like this, where Dr. Rick Strassman wrote a wonderful book about that called DMT, the spirit molecule. But many of these kinds of experiences sound remarkably like the abduction experience too. So I equally want to be careful not to say that, you know, people are just going around, you know, having random, hallucination experiences right. and forgetting things, forgetting entire, you know, periods of their lives. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to acknowledge the similarities between these experiences. So I would be careful putting a label on what Dan and Susan experienced. I think it's interesting the fact that they shared that experience. And yes, it is similar to things described by people in many of the aforementioned disciplines, but I don't know that that necessarily makes it this or that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think
1: in the You know, the way I understand it, if you have that traditional UFO abduction experience or what's been described as that, and the logic of that is that you have some external force, in this case aliens, acting upon the subject, the person experiencing it, it doesn't seem like they hit a button and it immediately stops your perception of time. From what I gather, it's maybe a byproduct of what they are doing, their presence there, whatever, however they get there. It's like uh, radiation happening when you enact some kind of technology. It's just part of it. Or they are stopping your time and replacing that with different memories. That seems to be the the narrative there. But in this case with Dan and Susan, logically, if you look at it, and and it is exactly as they described it, their experience, then either it took longer for them to get that short distance, because I've made that kind of that same drive to that general area, And somehow the external force this time would be like time itself or the nature of our reality extending and then their perception of it shrinking or expanding to match that. And so there's two factors here that I see is that, yeah, you you have both their collective experience seeming to be normal and that, well, the drive didn't feel like it took two and a half hours when it should have took 40 minutes. You know, their perception of it, their experience seemed to be pretty normal until they got there and realized it wasn't. So that adjusted, or their experience stayed normal, and somehow this outside factor, which would be, I guess in this case, if it wasn't anything like Aliens, it doesn't sound like it is to me, that some force, and this is the arrow of time, then having an adjustment itself, greatly extending Which should have been a 40 minute experience into something that was like two and a half hours. So there's a disconnect there between the rich and the matrix. Sort of, but not like, you know, it's not a jump cut. It's like a long dissolve
4: that you don't notice, you know, talking in filmic terms. Right. Well, you know, what's interesting about it too is, you know, one way we might kind of phrase the experience is that Dan and Susan's relationship with time seemed uninterrupted to them, but was different from the relationship that others nearby were having with time. Yeah. Now, most people would say, "Ah, that's impossible. That is nonsense. But really, if we're talking about relativity, there is a very similar concept in relativity that actually would account for this. Now, that's not to say that it would easily occur under the circumstances Dan and Susan described, but let me share a quick excerpt from chapter nine in Hawking's book, because I had this on my mind after hearing their discussion. Hawking writes, the discovery that the speed of light appeared the same to every observer, no matter how he was moving, led to the theory of relativity and in that one had to abandon the idea that there was a unique absolute time. Instead, each observer would have his own measure of time as recorded by a clock that he carried. Clocks carried by different observers would not necessarily agree. And thus, time became a more personal concept relative to the observer who measured it. Now, again, we have demonstrated Einstein's prediction that what he called time dilation would occur. Again, it's a very minute difference. And for anyone who may not be familiar with this, if you take two clocks that are timed to the exact second, millisecond, and you put one right here on the table with us as we're talking and you put one on a plane and you take that plane high up to a very high altitude and it's flying very fast in a circle around the Earth and it comes back, the two clocks are going to be slightly out of sync with one another due to the way that time was passing relative to each of the clocks. Mm -hmm. And so, again, we recognize that time dilation is a real thing. And although it would be difficult to understand why there would be a significant gap in the passing of time for two people traveling in a motor vehicle along a highway versus those who were at their destination, the point I would like to make is that in terms of a generic concept that is existent within general relativity— Yeah, we have a concept that describes that exact same thing. Time dilation is what it's called. So the idea that time can't be special to one group of people or an individual versus people in another location, that's Mm -hmm. absolutely not true. I mean, we can account for that in relativity. Yeah, I I think the fascinating experiment here would be
1: at that moment when they took that trip, for Scott and I to have been following them in our own car.
2: Because you wonder, is what they're experiencing at that moment...
5: Yeah, Just well, in that had, car,
2: somehow we would have had to arrive at different times. Or if we, we had done or that. we
1: have the same experience because as you were saying, Micah, the guy who was the assistant or setting up the interview for this director, they experienced that normal, or I guess the ongoing for the rest of the world, arrow of time. And to him, these two kids from college were two hours late to their interview. So for that person and the director who waited around. Everything else was regular. If we were to follow them in their car, then you wonder is it happening, yeah, within their consciousness, their shared perception and experience of reality? Is it a bubble that encapsulated their car? And it, it, of course, now what you're talking about reminds me of that uh, one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes where the space explorers return to a small town and everyone seems to be standing still. And what they realize is that they are moving so slow, these townfolk and these returning uh, explorers were arriving. And they're moving so fast that nobody can see them. And so their different perceptions of time are so great that the townsfolk would not even be noticing them. It's just passing way too fast for their perception. And so, yeah, I wonder, like, if we were following them in a car, keeping an eye on them, tailing them, would we also experience that? Or would we maybe see them disappear at some point? Because now they're, they're like on pause. They've suddenly slowed down so much that our perception of them ceases for a bit. And we arrive at the location two hours early on time. And then somehow later they reappear or or show up later, late. So it's just fascinating. I mean, I would love to have Well, yeah, and then you
2: get into the whole question about parallel timelines or maybe breaking off and reconverging. It's like a sidetrack with train tracks. And then it comes back together and they merge back into that normal timeline. So a version of them was doing the drive... At the slower rate, and another version was doing it at the normal rate, but then they reconverge at the end. I, but that still doesn't work because,
6: yeah,
4: I don't See, know when it would. It, yeah, it just gets so confusing. <laughs> well, this is where some of the paradoxes begin to emerge, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that you mention, you know, different timelines and things like that, because you know probably the most famous paradox with relation to time travel is the idea of the so-called grandfather paradox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know one resolution one potential resolution for that involves the idea of a multiverse in which travel back in time actually removes one from their own temporal timeline and places them in another where they may not be able to directly affect that from which they came now again so much of this you know has to do with speculating about things that even if there is valid room for speculation and I, I actually think that that's a healthy thing to do i think that philosophically scientifically and otherwise That humans need to be able to stretch out beyond the realm of the practical. But then again, others would raise the conjecture that, well, you know, that's just the problem, though. Time travel right now isn't something that is practical in terms of us having a reasonable expectation of being able to attain this anytime soon. And therefore, this sort of, you know, this line of speculation is useless. You guys are wasting your time. But I mean, If we didn't speculate, what in the world would we podcast about, right? (laughs) right, What's your podcaster for? (laughs) And it's fun. And also at the end of the day, some people describe having real experiences like this. Now, let me ask you one, fellas. You know, again, let's presume because you already dropped the M word. We've dropped the A word. Now let's get the M word matrix in there. If we are indeed children of a matrix, if we are operating within somebody else's simulation. What would it look like to us? What would humans perceive when the operators interact with us, us being the Sims? And that's an interesting one. Again, if we're talking about people's claims of alien abductions, altered states of consciousness, you know, psychonautic travels, you know, where a hallucinogenic experience is induced using chemical substances, and people have remarkably similar experiences where they meet non-human intelligences that commune. With them, no doubt. That's why Whitley Strieber used that term in the title of his book. And I've met Whitley on a couple of occasions and Mm -hmm. spoke with him once at length. And it's funny because you know one of the things that was mentioned in the conversation the other day had been how many people are frightened of that book and don't like reading it. Yeah. For me, I read it when I was young, and you know, again, I'm cautious of endorsing the idea of an extraterrestrial reality. Who knows, maybe that is the case. And maybe in a few years, they're going to drop down on the White House lawn, we'll see them, and then we can you know, move forward with this conversation saying, okay, now we know that is a thing. But as an as-yet-unproven concept, I like to take that book out of that whole genre and just look at it as a piece of sort of scientific, sci-fi, speculative thought, philosophy, really, if anything. If you read that book in that context and you read it carefully there's very little discussion of UFOs, very little Mm -hmm. in the way of extraterrestrial breeding programs and things like that. Right. Whitley very eloquently navigates those concepts in that book and says, here are experiences I had. And at one time in the book, maybe the first third or so of the book, he's speculating. He says, maybe these are time travelers from the future that don these these grayish post-industrial faces so Mm -hmm. as not to disrupt the flow of time. Maybe these are something else. Maybe these are, and he goes through this beautifully written kind of rundown of what could we be dealing with? And I remember him going on CNN later, and they had a skeptic on the program just going, ah, this guy and his extraterrestrial abductions. And Whitley says, hold on, wait. He said, I never said that that's what I thought they were. Why does it make me an unreasonable person if I'm just talking about what I perceived as a valid and real experience? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, yeah. he actually raised a really good point. More people seem to append to you know that book. And admittedly, of course, Bud Hopkins is mentioned in it and mm-hmm. Bud Hopkins mm-hmm. is a UFO researcher or was. you know. So, of course, we have to put it into some sort of frame of reference where we culturally and otherwise can deal with it. And so that book kind of got thrown into the UFO camp. Once again, I say maybe we should actually pick it back out of that pile, read it with a fresh look and and, and with fewer expectations. In that context, and also if you consider the work of the late uh, Harvard psychologist John Mack, he was looking for a variety of abnormal psychological experience to understand what people were describing with these alleged abductions. And one cannot deny, however real or not those experiences may be, that there is a level of myth and symbol that is present throughout those experiences that is undeniable and once again that seems to have a deeper archetypal resonance with us as humans going back to time immemorial. So there very well may be something to those experiences, but because of all that, again, when I read that book, it had the opposite effect on me. I actually read it and it completely removed any fear or concern I had about the subject Hmm. forever after. I would actually recommend that people read it. Uh, and it's a beautifully written book.
2: I used to be scared was, of it. Yeah, I was scared of it, <laughs> it was long weird. before we started the show. And then I have been and I'm still reading it. I restarted it in preparation for to sit down with Dan. Mm-hmm. But because of one thing and another and being busy, I didn't get finished with it before he came by. But I am still reading it and I am seeing it in a different light than I did when I was freaked out by it, you know, when I was much younger. But it's interesting that you say that because it is – it's all about the context and the context of the situation. And if you look at the experience that Dan and Susan had and you take away the assumptions of context associated with at least certainly in America culturally how we perceive these types of events – then it frees your mind up to be much more open to possibilities that you might be discounting because you're trying to put it in a box of some kind.
4: Yeah. yeah. You got to be careful with the box phenomena because again I think you know Whitley's experiences one interpretation is a so-called UFO abduction but there may be other interpretations and he's even offered some of those. But I think that people were all too quick to label him as being ah oh, here's another UFO crackpot. Well, again, if in the coming years there is a broader cultural awareness, a enhanced capability scientifically with the utilization of new technologies and better, more efficient instrumentation, that we're able to collect and analyze information about unidentified flying objects as the Navy and the U.S. Air Force are saying that they're doing. And again, we don't know what that represents, merely that there is a phenomena they are studying. And uh, although they're studying it, uh, there was the idea raised by Bill Nye, the science guy the other day on CNN that, yeah, I think that there are probably some objects up there, but he says, look, this is one department messing around with stuff that they don't want the other departments to know about. It's probably our own. But what I think he may be missing from the narrative too, is that there are a lot of you know, eyewitness accounts that are very credible that date back decades. So the question is, Has the DOD or the Pentagon, you know, has, you know, the NSA, the CIA, you know, the U.S. Air Force or the Navy, have any of these different branches of government going all the way back to the end of the 1940s, have they had technologies like this for that long? I mean, it would be understandable that there are some highly sophisticated technologies kept off the books right now, but to look so far back and say, oh yeah, we've had these things since the Second World War, at some point you'd think that little information would leak out or that somebody would acknowledge something. And actually, I was talking with a UFO skeptic, Robert Schaefer, good guy, mm-hmm. at the UFO Congress a few years ago, and that was the very conjecture that he raised. He had said to me, if these were our own technology, he said, that information probably would have been made public by now, like the U-2 you know, and the, uh, the Oxcart programs from the 1950s. Now, maybe that would be the case. Maybe that wouldn't. I don't know. The world of black projects is a whole other conversation, but again, my point is, Is it going to be another crackpot UFO story if in the coming years we actually have a lot of good data that supports the existence of, put up the air quotes, something. So again, the argument to me is twofold. We need to be open to honest, True scientific inquiry on that subject, but we need to be careful in making associations between that subject and people's claims, whether it be a missing time episode or actual claims of meeting beings like Whitley Strieber said that he did. They're fascinating stories, but we need to be careful in how we approach them.
2: It's yeah, it's really fast because I'm having to, my wheels are spinning while you're talking. Mm. It's all good. <laughs> you, you know, and I, I think about the, going back a little bit to the time dilation, because I did read uh, A Brief History of Time some time <laughs> some ago. <laughs> I need to yeah. read it again, actually. Yeah. And I also, I like to talk about a good demonstration of that would be uh, in the film Interstellar, which I, oh, yeah. it was, I believe scientific as scientifically accurate as they could figure out it might be if you were approaching a black hole. But what was really fascinating about that was how, All the travel related back to the people on Earth and also when they got way out near the black hole and all this really fascinating stuff about how it would pass. And that's all based on what you were talking about with dilation. Like in that context, you know, they're in spacecraft and they're traveling and they're getting into places where time is flowing differently from point A to point B. I guess then coming back around again to Dan and Susan. If it was somehow related to that, then the new question would be, how did they do it without partaking in space travel? It's like the two clocks that you talk about, yeah. one coming back a millisecond off. And then also, I'm still trying to figure out, during... You know, I guess what I wanted to, the next thing I wanted to ask you about in the context of all that is what about the memories that they brought out of that experience? What about the guy by the wall and the fog and all that sort of thing? I mean, I know we can connect the fog in a way to, and it was the first Mm -hmm. thing Forrest and I both thought when. When they said it, we can connect it to some of the experience that Bruce Gernon had with the electronic fog. But yeah. what about those other sort of odd memories that that came through, which I guess are similar in context to the ones that uh, Whitley Strieber had? But it, even though his oh, characters are different, but yeah, you're talking about Dan and Susan's odd uh, yeah what are, what they're of, bring of that they're memories. bringing back from that yeah where, where well, is that well, coming what, from
1: I, yeah like I wonder are they two hours younger than the rest of us. You know, because they, they, they had a, a minor time dilation, but you do, that is another aspect of that story that I found, even at the time as he, as he was saying it, is their difference of memories, that they had a shared experience, but they saw really unusual things. I, I, I would say most people would notice on a drive home or drive anywhere, an upturned uh, a vehicle on fire by the side of the road, you would tend to make that a memory, but they weren't totally shared between the two of them. And so what right. yeah so what is going on there because there is so right, another they, disconnect.
2: their end result is the same in terms of their arrival time yeah. but what happened to them during the extra time is different. It's another layer of personalization.
4: Yeah and that is kind of uh, interesting because that that does seem to raise the notion into all this introduces the idea I guess that that maybe not every aspect of their experience while in close proximity to one another was identical. Yeah Now, again, it would be really, really, really hard to explain how time dilation to such a great extent could occur in a localized region like that. It seems almost impossible. But again, I bring that up in the conversation to point out that as a generic facet of relativity theory, there is a remarkably similar description of known phenomena that has been proven. Mm -hmm. You know, Einstein was right again, that guy, the bright light bulb effect, but um in terms of their experience of weird things that they remembered from, you know, that they recount from that experience, I guess what I, uh, what comes to mind. And again, I I guess this is kind of a blase reference at this point, but it's a good one. And hence why we all keep saying it. You remember in the matrix films where, you know, the cat walks by the door and then they look back and it walks by again, the glitch in the matrix. Yes. I'm a big fan of that phenomenon, that, that idea, that, that idea in relation to people's experiences with weird things. I'm a big fan of that phenomenon because again, like, certain other subjects, UFOs being one of them, the idea that there may be a simulated element to reality as we know it has began to gain traction. And, you know, I've heard people, including uh, Neil uh, Duras Tyson and a few others, bring this up in very you know, serious terms as a possibility. And actually some mathematicians are saying it's not only a possibility, it is a likelihood. Elon Musk, you've probably also heard, is a big fan of yes. the idea that, and he's said numerous times when asked about this, you know in terms of the mathematical probability of you know base reality being all that there is and that this being the only real existence he says it's it's practically non-existent he says we are more likely than not whether or not we can prove it he says in terms of sheer probability we are more likely than not to exist in some form of simulation and so that's a really interesting concept because again when people describe really weird experiences well computers behave really strangely sometimes too. Sometimes Mm -hmm. your computer will just randomly die and you'll start it back up and get the black screen of death. And it'll say this computer had a serious, you know, breakdown or whatever and everything. And we're starting in recovery mode and then everything's running fine. Hopefully again in a few minutes, that's why I'm a Mac user, (laughs) even though I still have that problem from time (laughs) to time too. But I mean, again, you know, kind of coming back to the way that Hawking would say, we don't fully understand the mind. Well, we don't really fully understand reality maybe the best corollary that we can have in the terms of the conversation we're having is to look at the way a computer functions. Mm -hmm. And we can create things in computers, and there's an awful lot of order in that closed system that we create, that computer. But from time to time, things unexpected things do happen, little quirks, things that are random and certainly that are not intended. What's usually behind those kinds of quirks? Well, you know, your computer's probably heating up And it's because of that heat. Again, heat is actually a measure of entropy. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening. There's a lot of processes running at one time. The cooling fan kicks in, your computer's getting hot, and then the programs start running more slowly and weird things start happening. So again, if we're talking about things in terms of thermodynamic awareness of time and reality, I mean, it very well could be that if base reality, as we know it is actually somebody else's simulation, maybe sometimes the hard drive is running a little hot and the cooling fan has to kick in mm-hmm. and then weird things start happening. I mean, it's just a thought. Now
1: we're coming back to the idea of the bubble because that was another thing that Dan and Susan described on another trip is going through that heavy fog, not so much like, or maybe akin to Bruce Gernon's experience in, a, in that it was maybe an atmospheric type of thing or the fog was a byproduct of some type of atmospheric anomaly. And it made me think. Uh, in, in that bubble concept, there's a in, and and in talking about time slips, uh, there I guess uh, are famous stories around of people, you know, suddenly hearing or seeing things from a past time. Generally, not usually the future,
2: but that's another interesting idea. Well, to, and I think to, just to, realize. to plug this back into what he said earlier, I think that that's different from missing time. He's saying this is missing time, and right. a time slip is more like what you just mentioned. Those are two different. Types of things, right? right? Well,
1: yeah, but what I'm talking about here is is the trying to put uh, a fabric or a uh, a framework or a physicality to this. And that uh, there's an interesting story, uh, one that I really liked about. Apparently, in Bold Street in Liverpool, England, there have been several stories, or it's it's kind of known for having strange time anomalies. And in one story, there was a, it was a young man who was, I think he was being chased out of a store for shoplifting. This is back in 2006, or at least according to this uh, medium.com article, that uh, he runs out of the store and suddenly it seems like the late 60s to him. And I think even it's even previous to his, his time, he was a young man, I think in his 20s at that time. And one aspect of that story I found interesting is that he was running away from this guy and then he started to worry. And of course he had his cell phone, that didn't work. He starts getting worried he can't get back to his own time, and he gets to a point on the street, though, where he feels like he's come out of it, like he just suddenly has this realization like, oh my gosh, I think I'm back in my present time, and he feels really relieved, but he takes a look behind him down the street, and down the street is like 1967 in that huh. now he's on that cusp where there's, you know, it's not like, hey, it, it's not like a, a laser video wall with the fog and, you you know, some kind of mysterious thing where you actually, you know, you see a, a membrane of any kind. It suddenly just dissolves into this other period where he can see it, and it
2: is this other time. Right, so know, which kind of... also reminds me of the story, and I can't nail it down precisely, mm-hmm. and Micah, you've probably heard of it because you're Far more ensconced in all of this stuff than we are, but of the pilot who looked out at the plane and saw the airfield below—that's oh, yeah—was from a different time period. Yeah,
1: Air Marshal. Uh, yeah, he saw uh, planes that were maybe f- six years into the future. In the
2: future, right? They were the jumpsuits. uniforms. Yeah, yellow, or, yellow jumpsuits that were yeah. that were that wound up being the uniform of the future. But yeah, anyway, right. that's yeah. So that's I don't, where you're on the
1: membrane. But then you wonder, did yeah, did Dan and Susan? Because in both their stories, they're moving. Right, they are traveling in a car at, at various speeds. One's faster, you know, than the other one. Of course, uh, driving through LA traffic, but they are on the move. So, did they pass through something? And it, it yeah. was a coincidence that it happened. To, you know, is it a coincidence that it happened to both of them two different times?
4: Well, you know, w- one other way that we might kind of frame an analogy. For understanding this is that, you know, for instance, let's look at reality as rather than resembling just a single computer, what if reality is more like a network, you know, almost like the World Wide Web, Mm -hmm. and that each of us represents a computer that is connected to that web. Now, for various reasons, where I am, let's say that there's an electrical storm, all right, or an electrical fog, maybe even. In any case, bad weather might disrupt service in my region. And, you know, I can be on a Skype call, right? With you guys. And I might call you guys and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be like, Scott Forrest, hey, you know, come on, let's, let's talk. And you'll be like, hey, Micah, for some reason, your your computer's slow. I'm, it's a, It must be a bad connection. We're not hearing what you're saying. And meanwhile, I'm looking at you guys and I'm saying things in real time, but everything I'm saying seems like it's several seconds behind on your end. Mm-hmm. And you don't have any kind of network interference because there's no weather where you are. And in that regard, the analogy I'm making is that based on where you are and what kinds of things in the environment might affect an individual, you know, if reality is almost more like a network and we're sort of the computers that are plugged into it, could that also account for those little differences where for one person, they aren't having any any interruption, but it's obvious that somebody else is, you know, they're, they're having a a slower upload time because of the circumstances or the environment, the weather, whatever else. Again, that's just an analogy, but you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a good way of kind of seeing, the idea that, you know, some people may be affected in reality by things differently. Right. We could speculate that that could include the passage of time. They could, you know, have different remembrances of experiences and events and things along those lines. Now, it must be introduced, although, I guess, into the conversation that uh, memory, there have been a lot of studies that show the way that memory can kind of tend to update itself over the years. And the reason I bring that up is because there are some very famous UFO sightings over the years that if you actually go back and look at some of the descriptions given, the descriptions kind of change over time. And mm-hmm. uh Kenneth Arnold, you know, Kenneth Arnold's famous 1947 experience, when he first described seeing flying saucers, he actually described kind of Chevron-shaped aircraft that were flying yeah. very strangely. But the press, they said, you know, Mr. Arnold, how did they fly what you saw? And he says, well, you know, kind of like uh, – I'd say that they're like saucers skipping across water Well, flying saucers are born. Within six months, and certainly by the time a year had rolled around, Mr. Arnold had changed the way that he described what he saw. That doesn't mean that he had made it up, I don't think. I don't think at all that it affects the fact that he had a profound experience. But if you look at the descriptions and how he said it right after it happened versus later on, he began to say, you know, they seem to be disks. At least one of them was chevron-shaped. Yeah. But but he began to actually describe them in a way that conformed to the public narrative about what they had described him seeing mm. and how they behaved. So memory is a funny thing. And, and I wonder sometimes in relation to people's shared experiences, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when something happens and then 20 years later, you come back and you ask your friend, what do you remember about that? And then you compare notes and see how similar the stories are. But sometimes they match perfectly. I'll, I'll say that Dan and Susan's recollections seem to match perfectly with the exception of some of the weird phenomena we were talking about there, Mm -hmm. which were, again, that was the point that they brought up was that there were distinct differences in certain aspects of what they were called experiencing.
1: Yeah. You wonder if, um, you wonder what it was actually happening. And then, you know, because your, your larger question then again, about uh, the computer program or, or, or the nature of reality is that what was really happening and did one not just remember what was actually happening or was it only really happening to, for one of them? And that's why the other person didn't see it. So are they having two individual experiences simultaneously? And I guess it's, it's like that for all of us, but you know, technically we're speaking with you in the same moment, but you're actually three hours ahead. You are into the future, but we're having this, this simultaneous conversation.
4: Yeah. Mostly simultaneous. Of course. (laughs) There's a, yeah,
1: it's got to travel the speed of light from your location to ours. But uh, it's, it's to our perception here, it's as if you were in the room, but really, yeah, it's late afternoon
4: for you. So and that's actually an illusion. I mean, the illusion is, I mean, yes, we're absolutely really talking, but yeah, I mean that perception of oh yeah, we're we're here together talking. I mean, again, it's it's kind of fascinating because and once again we could actually make the argument that technology is ever increasingly shifting us into this sort of virtual reality where we connect with people, we have more in common with people around the world that we've never met physically than people who live next door to us in our neighborhoods. And we are on the telephone or we're on Skype or we're on FaceTime and we are communicating and we're sharing information on social media and things like this. And again, if there is a sort of a lattice to reality that we could liken to a web, I mean, we've, we've introduced another one on top of that. And the level of perceptual distortions could be amazing. It could be astonishing, I guess, actually, in the case of you guys. But for me, again, it comes back to a couple of things as Stephen Hawking whether or not he would agree with the kind of conjectures we raise here, as he seemed to leave the conversation open for, part of the understanding or the breakdown in understanding may be our limitations of knowledge in relation to human brain function, memory, perception, consciousness itself. And I think that that would hold true even if we accept uh, philosopher uh, Daniel Dennett's Idea that consciousness is merely an illusion that arises out of a number of extremely complex underlying neurological processes. Mm. In which case, I would merely say that hey, if consciousness is an illusion nonetheless, conceptually it exists. We're talking about it, aren't we? Yeah. And so, I'm I'm totally fine with accepting. And actually, you know, I can recommend another book here: uh, Daniel C. Dennett's *Consciousness Explained*. I do think he does, he, he, he takes great strides toward reaching an explanation, perhaps without fully explaining the phenomena. Obviously, we still have a lot of questions, but whatever you choose to call it and however you choose to interpret it, I think it still holds true that there are limitations to our knowledge and our understanding of how our own minds work in relation to our environment and reality. And really fundamentally, and this brings us to the second point, what reality is, what is it? How do we know how we react and and in every level and capacity that we can react to and interact with something that we don't fully understand? And so I think a lot of people, again, at the end of the day, they hear a conversation like this. And if they're inherently uh, perhaps too skeptical, they'll say, ah, those guys believe we live in a computer. They believe we're all Sims. You know, leave belief out of it. These are important questions that have to be asked. And until we do know, they're going to remain on the table. That's all there is to it.
2: That's going to wrap up Dan Pavanmayer and Susan Lambert's story on Missing Time. We're dark next week, but we'll be back the week after that with the first of three shows in a row. Please remember to support our
1: sponsors. They help keep the show free and the lights on in Blanket Fortiana. Special
2: thanks to John Bolin. <laughs> no, he no, you do. he have right to be. I a,
1: sh- he derails. The, he's uh, a good, that's, the derailer. That's,
3: that's, so that's, I was thinking about thinking, about that's And anyway, that was the end of
0: it. Nobody but knows. That's why we're, we're here. That's be, is because. I don't know people know who you are.
2: Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees wendell and co-produced by Tess Feifel, who is also our head of research.
1: Our theme, which is available as a ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane, and our sound design and additional composing is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to the astonishing research Corps. But most importantly, we want to thank.